Hi, everybody, and welcome to Full Marks, a Marks Brothers podcast. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. I don't think I normally say the full title. I think that's the first time I've said it. Well, we're at a second to last show. <laughs> nice so job. we're learning as we go along. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out for show 17. Sounds great. Yeah. What will we be reviewing then? I don't know. <laughs> we're going to review our past shows. That's a good we're idea. We're going to just go and look at... Uh, oh, that would be a good idea. No, it would be a terrible idea. No, no, nope, 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 nope. Okay, fair enough. I feel like the kid who just said, teacher, can we have more homework? Uh, today we're going to be talking about Love Happy, which is the final Marx Brothers movie. Yes. Uh, so uh, we've reached we've reached the end, pretty much. This is the end. Oh, yeah. We're going to do one more episode. Uh, our one more episode is going to be uh, full of uh, your questions, or uh, it's going to be leftovers, things we haven't mentioned. But uh, and we'll tell you, uh, well, we'll tell you right now why not how to contact us about that. If you want to uh, to ask us questions about uh, past episodes or anything, uh, you can do so at our Sneaky Dragon uh, address. We do another podcast called Sneaky Dragon. That's why all these things have Sneaky Dragon involved in them. You can go to sneakydragon.com, and that's where you'll find this podcast, a message board underneath where you can ask questions, or go to sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. On Twitter, we are sneaky underscore dragon, and Tumblr, sneakydragon.tumblr.com. Though if you ask us a question there, we're probably not answering it, because we don't know how to access that. Uh, or do we? I think I get notifications. Do you? Yeah. Well, there you go. But the other ways are probably the better ways. I think the so. The old ways are the best ways, huh, Dave? That's what I always is say. Is that what you say? Please send telegraphs. That's right. It's send, if, it, if it's on a pony... It, then it's money. I don't know what we're saying at all. We are so close to being at the end of this podcast, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, if you want to know what the premise is behind this, uh, once again, I'm very surprised that you started this late, but uh, I am a casual Marx Brothers fan. Yes, I make are. my living as a comedian. I write for Mad Magazine, New Yorker Cartoons, did The Simpsons Futurama Comics, and I do two comic books. One's a graphic novel called Sparks that's out that I wrote, uh, and Dave Colored, and uh, another book uh, out from Image called Exorcisters. Uh, and David is a more hardcore Marx Brothers fan. Would you say you're hardcore? Would I'd you say, say you're nerdcore? I would say, I'd say uh, more of a nuanced Marx Brothers oh, fan. Oh, very nuanced. Yeah, All right. Very I, good. There's subtleties. That's very, a lot of subtleties and uh, little, you know. Innuendos. Whining, double entendres. Some back roads that one should not roads. go down. You but you will follow. go down those roads. You don't want to follow me down those roads, those Marx Brothers roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about anymore. We've gone a, yeah, that'll okay. be in our uh, other podcast. That'll leave a marks. Uh, <laughs> we're not doing it. We're not doing. We're not Why doing one we... more. Nope, nope. We're not changing the title. No? That's the way it's going to be. <laughs> so how these usually? Uh, anyway, sorry, David is more of a uh, a big uh, Marx Brothers uh, fan. He's yeah. seen all the movies. I, I have. have not. I'm watching many of these for the first time. This is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show usually starts with David giving a little context. Well, first of all, we do a little general. Yes. Then we go in a little context. Yes. Then we break down the movie itself. Sure. That's how we've been doing it. That's how we're going to keep doing it. Because, Dave, you know what I say? The old ways are the best ways. Exactly. Please send me a message in a bottle. A nuanced message. <laughs> in a bottle. <laughs> Please. So, uh, generally, generally, what do you think of this? Uh, I think it's not so great. Is my feeling about this film is uh, I think it's okay. It or- reminds me of uh, when, like, it reminds me of of say like a Saturday morning cartoon where they could get uh, one of the main characters to just do intros and extras, mm. but they couldn't get them for the actual thing. So you'll just see, let's say, the three stooges at the very beginning of the cartoon show, at the end of the cartoon show, yeah. and then they're going to have a thing in the middle. Sure. 
Uh, I I sincerely missed Groucho in this. Oh yes, you know, uh, it it really is just a kind of a Harpo and Chico thing. You sincerely missed the Marx Brothers in this, but even even Chico doesn't show up until quite a quite a ways into the movie. Yeah, and Groucho Groucho is there at the beginning and then just vanishes <laughs> for a very long period of time. He actually yeah. does something that is similar to what Patton Oswalt used to talk about, comedian Patton Oswalt. He talked about how he used to get hired for movies to be a, a joke doctor, and what they'd ask him to do is uh, not fix the movie itself, but come up with funny things for characters who are off camera to yell at characters on camera. Mm. And that's what it felt like with Groucho's narration was trying to goose it up a little bit at the beginning. and like, oh, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. He's going to do a running commentary. But even that, it feels like, oh, and then he went to lunch. And then shows up at the end, and it's like, what's he doing here? <laughs> yeah. And and uh, the most disturbing thing, of course, uh, if you're a Marx Brothers fan, what's with the real mustache? Yes. He had no interest in, I mean, yeah, he had no interest in doing this movie, basically. And he didn't, he had grown the mustache out. He was actually doing uh, You Bet Your Life on radio at this point. And so he grew it out for the radio. He grew it out for radio. Okay. Because there was an audience. And the, oh, very good. Okay. And the... um you know, the advertisers, the, the network wanted him to have a mustache, but they wanted him to have the Groucho Marx grease paint mustache. He said, no, thanks. So he said, I'll just grow a real mustache. And he did. So he was kind of obligated to keep that on. And it would have looked very strange to have, would have looked Cesar Romero strange for him to have a, you know, grease paint mustache over his mustache. Now, here's the, here's the thing that I found strange to me, because mm -hmm. I, because he, it's just off like that the the opening the pacing is off we'll get into it specifically sure sure but the but the opening is off so i felt like well you know what groucho's getting older maybe he doesn't have the timing mm -hmm. maybe this is what's going on sure but then i realized like no wait a minute i saw him in the 70s i saw him on dick cavett yeah i saw him like uh uh debating what's his name a uh, buckwald buck uh william f buckley william f buckley i saw him like the guy is sharp as a tack he yeah. had his timing everything was fine yeah uh so what's this business why is it so why is the timing so off it just looks like they did a take and went get enough that's fine we're good sure. we're good uh that's eh, fine we could fix it but why fix it moving yeah. on yeah and uh and i thought like oh that's a, that's a shame it's like start, it really felt like uh, at least the groucho bits they didn't they didn't care mm -hmm. i would say yeah i would say that's the case and i would say mostly it was a mostly it was an instance of them trying to cram his parts into an already existing structure so the film had been basically had been written. The film had been written, conceived as a Harpo solo movie. It was supposed to be basically a pantomime film, kind of a silent film, you know, structure with sound incorporated into it. Okay. And it was um, conceived. Well, the story was was conceived as it says in the beginning of the film. The original story idea was Harpo's. So he came up with a sort of, I guess, a story suggestion. I doubt he sat down and wrote out an outline or did some sort of, you know, uh, breakdown of what the film would be. But he came up with the idea of the story. Ben Hecht, the writer, wrote the screen wrote a, wrote the screenplay for the original film, which is uh, with some help from Frank Tashlin, who was a gag writer on A Night in Casablanca, had been a Warner Brothers animator and a Disney animator, and been an animator all over uh, Hollywood, because he seemed like it seems like he was a very uh, short-tempered fellow who quickly grew. Uh, I guess either Jobs got tired of him, or he got tired of Jobs. He went on to become a director, directed Martin and Lewis, a bunch of Jerry Lewis films, and other movies like uh, The Girl Can't Help It, stuff like that. But at the beginning of his career, he was kind of a gag man. And this is what, you know, so he did gags for A Night of the Casablanca. And I think that's why Harpo's gags in that movie are so good, because, you know, they realize what we need are cartoonists, people who have, like, or people who have, like, yeah. the sort of animation or cartoon sensibility. 
which they used all the way back in monkey business. And you know, it seemed to repeat very carefully after that, after that, which I thought was a very successful formula. But so he and Ben Heck developed this story, which was basically just for Harpo. And then, you know, it was just, it would be, it, I think they realized that it was hard to get money for a movie that was just Harpo. So Chico came on board because, you know, Chico always needed money. So of course he was happy to come on board. And then, you know, they needed the third Marx brother to really get the funding. Now that's according to Groucho. So there's different, there's different ways of, of, of talking about it. So, uh, like I said, it wasn't originally planned. So what happened was. Yeah, let's get into the context after, of yeah, the film. After, now. um, after the closing of Marx, Miller and Marx, Zeppo's talent agency that Gummo Marx was a part of, Gummo formed his own production company called Gummo Marx Enterprises. And so his first project was to be this film, this, idea of the film which was written by Ben Hecht and would star Harpo and so like I said initially the script was written by Ben Hecht and Frank Tashlin and it was supposed to be like a return to Panama and comedy you know kind of a slapstick sensibility with Harpo kind of doing and this is a part of the film that I don't enjoy very much kind of doing a tramp kind of doing a Charlie Chaplin mm. tramp thing with a very kind of sentimental element do they call him a tramp in it or do they they do kind of describe him as a as a tramp yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah 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 okay and so, like I say, Harpo received the original story credit for it. And the original title of Heck Story was The Sidewalk, which later became Diamonds in the Sidewalk. And then at some point in the production process, Gummo dropped out and a different producer took over the project whose name was Lester Cowan. And he had some experience with comedy. He produced um, You Can't Cheat an Honest Man at, for W.C. Fields yeah. and then the Mae West Fields uh, collaboration. My um, Little Chickadee. My Little Chickadee, that's right. But he's all, he's also kind of notorious fellow. Like, like apparently David Miller, the director of Love Happy and, and Harpo remained friends after the project and would, you know, see each other quite regularly. And what they liked to do was sit and talk about how much they disliked Lester Cowan. <laughs> and there's a story that Susan, uh, Fleming, obviously Susan Marks, his, who was in Million Dollar Lakes. <laughs> Hey everybody! We mentioned million dollar legs. There you go. And if you're if you're listening to the show, you'll know why that's so important. Go ahead. And so um, she told the story of, of Harpo coming home one day from from the movie, and he was and he said, "I got so mad at Lester Cowan today that I told him, you you are a no good person. You are a hateful person, and I spit on you and I spat on him." And she said, "What did he do?" And he said, "Oh, nothing special." <laughs> but I think he's because he was just such an unpleasant man that yeah. it's, it didn't take anything more for him to sure. to, to you know bring this out in people, and it's hard to imagine Harpo being yeah. right away because Harpo was always beloved for his you know geniality and his friendliness and his love of everyone you know like you know just it's, it's curious. So as I say, the original intention of the project, which as a solo vehicle for Harpo, uh, quickly began to change because what what happened was Cowan lied to United Artists about the value of the film to the studio. Like I guess. He didn't present it as a Harpo vehicle. He presented it as a Marx Brother vehicle. And so, of course, United Artists said, oh, that sounds great. You know, another Marx Brother film. Sure. Night in Casablanca did pretty well. Okay. We can have another, we can have another, you know, Here hit, we go. Hit, hit movie. And then he comes to them and says, oh, actually, there's no other Marx Brothers, just Harpo. <laughs> so it wasn't, yeah. So, like I said, it wasn't very long before Chico was and, involved. And, and right before that, they greenlit the old, the all Shemp movie. So that was just a bad Oh, idea. that was, yeah, that idea for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And that was going to be the opposite of pantomime. It was all talking. Yep. With no action. Yeah. Just him talking in front of us. And a lot of love scenes, which was really a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So production on the film started in 1948. 
But Groucho mentions that Ben Hecht was writing a film for Harpo and Chico in a letter dated June 20th, 1947. So already pretty early on. Uh, and, and the letter of the um, 25th of September, 1947, confirms uh, Groucho's guest role as a narrator. So he didn't regard himself as a as an actor in the film, but a, as a guest role. So, and it's interesting when you look at the credits for the film, Groucho comes down at the bottom because hmm. he's just listed as a narrator, not as a character in the hmm. film. Okay. Why didn't I collate my pages? <laughs> so, so I'm not sure at what point Heck dropped out of the project because it's not really talked about. But he did leave the project, and he left it on on I would think bad terms because he asked for his name to be taken off. off okay, the, that's off never the a good sign. So it may, he may have been there at the start of Chico's involvement, but lost heart as Groucho became involved, or felt that the project had changed with the arrival of Chico, Chico and left earlier. So I'm not sure. Because once Harpo, well, once Groucho come, becomes involved, it's no longer going to be a pantomime film. It's going to be a film with a lot of talking, because that's what Groucho brings to mm-hmm. the to the, the cake. He brings, you know, this acerbic wit. And you could maybe get some business with, with Chico with talking, but also some physical elements. But Harpo or Groucho wasn't really there for the physical stuff. He was there as as this mouth the mouthpiece, right? That's right. So, like I say, um, Groucho's involvement definitely changed the the way the direction of the script, and and then Heck left and took his name off off it. So after Heck left, there was another series of working titles for the film. So it went from like Diamonds in the Sidewalk and the Sidewalk to Blondes Up and uh, <laughs> Blonde Heaven, and then Hearts and Diamonds. Okay. Before they finally settled on Love Happy, which may have been a result of the song being called Love Happy. I'm not exactly certain whether the song was written before or after. That's what it feels like. Now, how and why Groucho became involved in the project is also not really clear. Because Groucho had a version that the film was having trouble getting financing without all three Marx Brothers being involved. Uh, whereas the director, David Miller, recalled that Groucho joined the cast because Chico had been added. And maybe he just felt like, oh, well, if Chico's in, I'll, I guess I'll come and do some, a small part in it as well. I guess wow, I'll right. help out, whatever, sure. you know. So it's hard to know. So according to an interview with Mac Benoff, who is one of the one of the um, credited writers, he and Frank Tashton have writing credit for the film. He came on as a script doctor um, to work to work with Tashlan on integrating Groucho into the film. So their job was to somehow do the framing elements for the picture and write the gags for that. And the the DVD that is out now is longer than the original film was in the in the in the cinema in the cinemas. Oh I so see. it has some few extra scenes oh, okay. in it. Yeah. That were cut out for, for theatrical release. And I'm not sure why. So an example of it would be the scene where um, there's the actor who when Groucho goes or not, when Harper goes to offer him the sardine tin yeah and then he gets all offended and does this very hammy speech right and then harpo gives him a ham yeah that wasn't in the original film or the scene where Groucho's uh showing the pictures of himself where he's talking about trail trailing madame igalici and he's just got these great little snapshots right. of himself dressed in a kilt and on stage with her those are that wasn't in the original kind of because the 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 ham joke which you're talking about yeah uh didn't work for me because they'd already done the ham joke a few minutes earlier they done a reference to like you know a ham and an actor is a ham yeah and then it was like ham you, that's you you're an actor you're a ham yeah we just before the cow sequence before the guy yeah before the cow, the cow sequence okay. there was like just a verbal uh, offhanded joke about ham and uh, and uh, and an actor okay and it was like okay well then that we've done it and now you've done it again yeah so that makes sense that they would have taken 
if they took that out, yeah. they could have left that other one in. Yeah, that sure. makes sense. I think it should have gone the other way because I think the the actor who does the ham hammy stuff is quite good at as a yeah. It's actor. really he does some interesting business. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to him when we get to him. But sure, yeah, sure. I, I enjoyed uh, his hair combing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I really yeah, I like a I like a really uh, arrogant uh, cows behind. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's always better than an arrogant horse's ass. Mm. That's a, that's a yeah. mm-hmm. Can I say that word? I don't know. Yes. Okay. Yes, you can. So, uh, Groch's part was filmed in 10 days and, uh. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that he never interacts with, with, uh, Chico in the film. That's true. Only Harpo. He only interacts with Harpo. And that is until the final rooftop sequence. And actually there's, there's, um, footage or images of the Harpo scene taking, uh, taking place in the office in Groch and Mark's, in, you know, Sam Grenian's office. So. It's po- it's possible when the rooftop oh. sequence was developed that they that they added Grocho to that part of it. Yeah, I know you're saying that he doesn't interact, but he does interact. You just don't see them in the same frame. Well, that yeah, because they weren't in the same. That's right. But the very last yeah. scene, it is the two of them talking to each other. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, sorry. At the very end of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. Because Chico's his assistant yeah. by the end. Yeah, that's right. Yes, but yeah, they don't interact with each other, unlike uh, Harpo and, and Grocho yeah. do do actually. Have some. So technically, okay. Just to be clear, just to be clear, they interact with each other, but they're not in the same frame with each other. Yes. Yes. Sorry, you're right. And that's the important thing that I'm right. Now let me just write that down in the I'm right column. So I think that I think that uh, (laughs) it's important to you. Yep. If the um, so (laughs) I I personally think that the rooftop sequence was was a reshoot, and so they they changed the ending from from. Uh, Grocho's office from Sam Grenion's office to having the climax of the film take place on the rooftop. Well, I've got a big question to ask you. When we get to the rooftop sequence, you want to talk about it then, or do you want to talk about it now? Uh, I just want to generally ask: Did they run out of money, and so was the whole rooftop yes. sequence so that they could like make money from all the ads? They it's did. Crazy. They did. They ran out of money, and United Artists pulled out its pulled out out its like out of the distribution of the film at that at that time, right? Because it could it felt that it was a disastrous project. And Cohen had to go, actually went to, you know, companies and told them they could buy advertising. That's 100% space in what film. it seems like. It seems yeah. like, well, yeah. we're out of dough. Let's run the ads. That's exactly what it was. Here we go. And that's why it was so, so important that they have as much movie time spent on that sequence as possible. Yeah. So they took Grocho's character out of the office and put him on the roof. Yeah. There's two things that, that seem really obvious to me. One, yeah. one was we ran out of money. Uh, here comes some commercials. Yeah. And the other, when you see Groucho off the top with his face way too big in the frame, it was just like, okay, someone was contractually obligated to be in this movie. Yeah. So it almost seems like they're going, we're going to give you as much Groucho as we can <laughs> with the short amount of Groucho we've got. Yeah. He's yeah. just, it's going to be all Groucho face. Yeah. So you can't tell me there's no Groucho in this because it starts with a lot of Groucho. Yeah. And like, eh, see, you're fine. And then we lose Groucho. And it's like, there we go. So, all right. Uh, the director of the film was, uh, this guy, well, like I said, was David Miller, who once again, not a director of comedies. Mm. And you can really see that, I think, in mm. the pacing of the film. Oh, boy. There's a lot of gags in this movie that go on for a long time. Like a lot of the Harpo they go gags. go on past gag to gagged. Yes, that's yeah. true. A lot of the Harpo stuff works, but I think that's because that was probably prepared mm-hmm. by different people. Yeah. But yeah, with the other stuff. Yeah, there's even some Harpo gags where it just goes, oh, on, like, dude. It goes on for a yeah. long time. And you're like, this could uh, be a lot shorter. Yeah, we get it. To, yeah. We get it. Yeah. Uh, I know that may have been also an element of, 
of they felt maybe the film wasn't long enough so there was a lot of times where you stretch it out stretch it out let's make it a little longer and uh the music all the music in the film was written by a woman named Anne Anne Ronell who um had actually worked with Cohen on this uh, movie he'd produced a year before he started production before production started on this movie which was called the uh, story of G.I. Joe so she'd done the soundtrack for that film, and so he brought her on for this film. And actually, I quite like the songs in this movie. I think they're all accept- acceptably good Hollywood songs. I think Love Happy is a good song. I like the Who Stole That Jam song. Sure. Um, I think all that stuff is 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 fine. It's just, it's it's perfectly good. Yep. It even it even has a reprise of a pre a hit she'd had like in the '30s called uh, Willow Weep for Me, which uh, Vera Allen uh, dances to in one of the sequences in the movie. Anyway. Oh, no, I was going to say, when you said that the Marxes were old, uh, so Groucho was 59. Okay. Harpo was 61. I spry 61. You're no kidding. Say. Good on him. And Chico was 62. And still looking pretty good. But there's some sequences like where in the past, a Harpo would have fallen into Chico's arms and put his full weight on Chico. He just kind of leans against him and then they'd run off. Yeah. Uh, like sort of, you know, little recognition of time Yeah, Harpo's passed. still very athletic. It's, it's, yeah. it's impressive. Yeah. yeah. That golf, that golf, all that golfing he did was good for him, obviously. Uh, and I think I think it's impressive that you know when you think about it, they made a film in 1949 how long their career was like almost 50 years of 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 performing to get to that point and still be making movies is pretty good for 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 a, a group. Yeah, and I think like Groucho's character, the uh, wisecracking, stand back, uh, somewhat lecherous, uh, you know, uh, a bit of a swindler, works even better when you're older. So like the older Groucho gets, it's still that's fine. That's all. That's all good. You know, that's not really all. Yeah. That's not young person stuff. No, no. That's so right. it's uh, that's you right. know, it's great. But like again, once again, when you're seeing him in the seventies, just like wisecracking on talk shows, uh, it all it all it all works because like oh yeah, this is yeah, this is all fine. Yeah, I think the walk would have gotten harder for him over yes. time. Dance. You don't see him dancing, in and this. you don't see him dance as much. Yeah, yeah. That's uh. So let's just, well, I guess we'll start the movie because there's not really much to talk about in sure, terms of sure. the production of it. It's, All uh, right. it's a, to me, because of the, I think the relative lack of interest in this movie, it's sort of, there's elements of it that are shrouded in mystery. And there's three different versions of things that you read because everyone has their own theories, pet theories, I guess, or, you know, or have taken someone's statement and sort of made their own interpretation of it. And so you end up with this kind of very mysterious movie that was made. But it, it was, is- oh, one more thing that was interesting is it was produced by Mary Pickford. Mm. Uh, and it was her last movie production. Okay. And yeah. So she also had quite a career. Do, do you want to mention like how the movie did? I don't really know. I don't think it was a huge success, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. I think it would, did okay, but I didn't. But it was the last it of the movies. A critical, it was so a critical smash. there was no reason. So the reason that they didn't do any movies afterwards was they just were. They didn't want to do movies anymore. Okay. This, I think this movie, I mean, I think this movie was in a way was a bit of a trick. Like Harpo was tricked into doing a movie. And they had expressed, uh, they'd been approached by producers once again. It wasn't just Night in Casablanca. Even after Night in Casablanca, they were produced by producers, or sorry, they were, they were uh, approached by producers who wanted them to make movies. Yeah. They didn't want to. They preferred live performance. Sure. Because when you perform on stage, when you walk off the stage, someone hands you a check mm-hmm. and you leave, you leave. When you perform in a movie, you have to wait a long time to get your money. So they didn't like that. They liked the immediate, and they were stage performers at heart. You know, they really weren't movie performers. They weren't people who grew up, you know, dreaming of being in movies. They found movies really boring to do, uh, you know. And so I think they, I like, think they enjoyed the end product when the end product was, was something they could be happy with. But as, you know, their MGM 
the quality of the MGM movies dropped. It made you finish. You went through all this to them boring anguish to get to that, to get yeah. to the big store. Is this what we really yeah. sat around for eight hours a day with, with my face covered with, with, you know, shoe polish or whatever. And, you know, Grocho and, or Harpo in an itchy wig. And, you know, he'd be, rather be at home practicing his harp. You know, and that's sense. just, that was, and so, yeah, they think they, they preferred the, the immediacy of films. And so, but like I say, so this movie, you know, Harpo comes up with this idea, goes to his friend Ben Hecht, who he's long time, long term friends with, had also, you know, and Hecht had been rumored a couple times throughout the 30s, particularly when they're at Paramount to, to be writing a Marx Brother film. So he finally gets an opportunity to, to work with, with a Marx Brother. And that's probably pretty great for him. And so they start developing this project and then it kind of gets taken away from them. And turn into this totally different thing. Chico, of course, you can't, you know, he just, whatever. He would have made, you know, 50 more Marx Brothers films if they had wanted to. But he, he's in. And then Grocho, you know, to, I guess just to be nice, he, he volunteers, you know, 10 days of, of, of time. You know, something, someone brought up something that I forgot to bring up, um, with the big store, which was, and one reason I did is because I'm not certain if it's true in terms of timeline, but it's that, uh, Grocho's son Arthur was in a ten- tennis championship, and Grocho really wanted to see him, see him, uh, perf- you know, see him play. But he couldn't because he was had to go do reshoots for the big uh-huh. store. And it's been suggested that the reshoots were for that sequence where the women are on stage and he's like making little quips. You know, uh, you can see all the way to Catalina or whatever. Yeah, which makes no sense, by the way. Yeah, and you know, so you could see like the the bitterness that they would feel like. I want to see my son's tennis championship. I don't want to be here saying bad jokes to a camera, you know, and, you know, so I just feel like whether this movie had been a huge success, they may not have done another one anyway, because it is. Because life is short. Life is short. (laughs) Life is too short. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Harpo, they all had like successful stage, you know, they could go around and do shows and stuff like that. You know, Chico had a band and he would go around and play, playing clubs and stuff like that. He made okay money for a long time doing that. And Harpo, Groucho Marx says himself, Harpo was incredibly wealthy and didn't, did not need to work. And any work he did, he just did because he wanted to. And, you know, and that was, that was how it was for them. So, you know, they worked really hard when they were young. Yeah. I'm sorry to and hear they, that uh, this was a, this was really a Harpo movie because if it was just a Harpo movie, that'd be interesting. I think so too. Yeah. It would have been, I, well, okay. It would be interesting. I don't know if it would be great because I, I feel personally that the idea of the tramp character being applied to Harpo's character isn't really, there's not a parallel there. I don't think Harpo's character is a, is a like, sentimental maudlin character hmm. i think he is a imp of the perverse mm-hmm. i think he's a magical character who you know is a is a troublemaker is sort of a gremlin rather yep. than rather than someone who's trying to help a woman see you know like the story of city lights yes you know that's i don't think so i think if you're going to do that sort of character with with harpo where he's you know s- stealing food for this plucky band of of actors on stage and he's in love with the one of the dancers who's not in love with him and how oh how sad which doesn't really come out in the film very much i think that's really kind of squashed down that aspect of it there's a little bit of it but not a lot yeah it's a tough beat to play it is a tough beat to play because harpo isn't totally human exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah what you got to do is you got to like play it up like he he's got to push the other characters to do things, mm-hmm. and then we keep coming back to him for funny beats. Yeah, and then he'll escalate things, and then you'll have a big action sequence at the end. Uh, yeah, 
and it'll and it'll always do a warped version of what you expect him to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can you could do it. You can pull it off, but you got to really make a bit of a different movie than you're going to make with oh, this. Oh yeah, yeah, you can't just stick him into That's... a night at the opera, which is basically what this kind of is. It's similar problems. Yeah, yeah. Similar situation. Yeah, or, you, or you could say, oh, you know, I want to do a Charlie Chaplin, but you couldn't stick Carpo into no, no, no. the storyline for the kid. He's or not the that kind for, of character. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. So I, I think it would be interesting, but I don't know if either version is a successful idea necessarily. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the film opens with uh, police whistles mm-hmm. and the the uh, beeping sounds of Morse code or whatever that is. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, I guess someone's telegraphing the police. Yeah. Well, they're going to be telegraphing the jokes very soon, so it's good to warm it up. Walter Winchell is uh, getting ready to uh, get going. We are introduced to the film's narrator, Private Detective Sam Grunion. Okay. First problem. Played by Groucho. First big problem. Yep. Where It's weird because like, you can see almost from the first scene of a movie, oh, they don't care. They don't mm-hmm. care. Yep. And they clearly don't care in the very first scene because he turns around on the chair but you can tell they're making him do the turn on the chair because he's doing like the, he's got almost like a double turn. Yeah. Where yeah. like, all you need to do is get a guy behind there on the chair and just turn him smoothly. And then boom, we got a lovely presentation of Groucho. It's like, it's like the stereotype in a James Bond movie is the chair. And then the villain turns around and the villain never turns around. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Bond. It's like, no, swish. Yeah. Hello, Mr. Bond. That's what you need. And you yeah. need for this swish. Here we go. And then, and then, unfortunately, they do way too close up on Groucho's face, yeah. where and it's a little disturbing because, like, you're used to the the like maybe maybe he wasn't doing television at this point, right? There was no yeah right. So it's like, well, where's the grease paint mustache? He's got the it just looks so off. Yeah. And then and then while he's doing his line, he acted in Copacabana with the same look. Okay, fair enough. So people people knew that look. Okay, fair enough. But uh, one, the turn is wrong. Yeah. That's a bad start. Sure. Too too close up, yeah. not not good. Yeah. And then where's he looking? Like he's always looking off to the side. Like are there cue cards? <laughs> Has he not memorized these lines? Because that's the way it feels. It feels like I'm watching a Saturday Night Live sketch. And like, yeah. where's he looking? And, and and because Groucho has that kind of shifty eye thing that he does for comedy, it's like it mixes, unfortunately, with shifty eye that's clearly not for comedy, but he's just checking other stuff out. It doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, and and my gosh, his uh, his eyebrows should have gotten a separate paycheck in this whole movie for the amount of work they do to try to, like, sell every joke. It's like, yeah. oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, but continue. He instructs the audience not to leave the theater because the Royal Romanoff Diamonds have been stolen. Uh, after sap, after establishing his bona fides, uh, which I do kind of like that little bit where he goes, uh, so-and-so couldn't solve it. So I came on and I solved it. I confessed. It's a good I joke, it's a but good joke. it's telegraphed and it's like, <laughs> okay, get to it. <laughs> and, uh, then he, and he says, yeah, then he does a, a bit about how, you know, I never tell, you know, even my business cards. Mm-hmm. And then he holds up his business cards and, it, and that's great. You see that there's nothing on them. He goes, yeah. There's nothing on them. Yeah. It's like no, no. <laughs> this is this again. Occasionally we'll we'll rewrite a gag, but to me this this one's so basic, which is just like and and now here's my business cards. Blank. Blank is a funny hard word. Yeah. Sums it all up. Blank. Not there's nothing on them. Ugh. Just uh, no. There's nothing to that joke if you say it like that. We saw that there's nothing on them. You've got to like punch it. What Groucho? Are you okay? I started to get worried for him at this point. Well, we talked about how during the big store, he didn't bother fiddling with his lines anymore. And you kind of wonder if that sort of indifference 
you know, just kind of crept through the films that he did after that. Because even A Night in Casablanca, there are some real clams sure, that sure, he sure. drops in that film as well. I mean, that whole, I thought every date in town was broken. What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like that's just, that's just laziness. Yeah. Uh, so Grinion tells us the history of the Romanoff diamonds. He tells us that he has spent 11 years investigating the million dollar theft of the diamonds, which begs the question, why can't the audience leave the theater? The diamonds were stolen 11 years ago. Are we under suspicion? We've come to a movie theater. Are we like the, are we the suspects who have been gathered in a Wait room? a minute. So yeah. <laughs> have they just been stolen? Cause it's no. what he, it seems he says like. He's been on the trail then for 11 years. For 11 oh, years. okay. Maybe we've been in here for 11 years. Maybe we died. Maybe we're all ghosts. <laughs> all so right. the diamonds have been missing for over a decade. Grenion says he has tracked the diamonds around the world. The trail finally leading him to a small Broadway theater where we are introduced to dancers. And so we sort of fade in from, from him. Yeah. Weird fades where yeah. they keep two, they don't, they don't do a knife of fade into something. Yeah, it's like, yeah. again, speaking of ghosts, ghostly presence where it's just <laughs> like, where's my focus supposed to be? Yep. So we're introduced to, uh, two dancers, uh, Mike Johnson. Mm hmm. Played by the actor Paul Valentine. Yeah, blandest, I think blandest name I can think of. Mike Johnson. Mon Mike Johnson. Yeah. Thanks for putting in the effort, guys, for that name. I think this is his most notable film role to me, though. He was in uh, the Kirk Douglas film Out of the Past in 1947, and in its remake in 1984, Against All Odds. Oh, is that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah, that was his final film, Against All Odds, the final like uh, feature film. Oh, what are the odds? <laughs> Which was a sequel to Against All Odds. His girlfriend. Was it? What are the no, odds? it wasn't. Okay. Nope. Nope. <laughs> what a sucker. Just I a am. dumb joke. His girlfriend, Maggie Phillips, played by Vera Allen, who is so great in uh, On the Town, the Gene Kelly, uh, Frank. She's Frank trying. Film. She's trying. She's a trooper. Um, she does try. And Bunny Dolan, uh, played by Marion Hutton, the. Uh, the sister of Betty Hutton, who's an actress who starred in uh, The Miracle at Morgan's Creek, the Preston Sturgis film. Oh, good. And uh, she is Maggie's best friend, who has invested, we learned, $300 in the show. That's how much she believes in Mike Johnson. And I, I enjoyed her in the film. I think she uh, she's the one who sings Love Happy off the top of the movie as well. All right. There you go. So we watch Mike rehearse what I assume is a pirate dance as he's waving a sword around and jumping yep. around a, a set that has like a dock or something like that. Yeah. We're watching that. We watched that a long time. <laughs> a long time. To the point where you go, you know, there's actual pirate movies I could be watching where a guy's fighting something. <laughs> well, there's a Gene Kelly musical called The Pirate. There's if you want to watch a musical pirate movie. There's a thing, lot of other movie. things I could be watching instead of a guy almost fighting something. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's it's not like it's remarkable dancing that you're like, well, I never. It's, yeah, that's that's a guy fighting in a, nothing. Exactly. Okay. What is this musical, by the way? Have you figured out what the musical? Oh no, about? I have no idea. It's one of those one of those mysterious <laughs> plays that you see, and you just see like scenes of it rehearsed, yeah, and you're like, "Because clearly, I have no uh, idea." There's pirates involved, but, it does, but nothing else seems to involve pirates even close. But it does say it's a domestic thing. To be fair to the movie, yeah. To be fair to the play, at that when they have the love happy uh, sign on yeah. the on the Century Theater at sure. near the end of the film, yeah, it does say a musical review with a theme. It doesn't say with a theme. <laughs> Should there be a theme to a musical review? I, don't I know. think so. Yeah, okay. I think you should. Okay, I don't know. All right, go ahead. What do I know about reviews? I don't know either. I've done a couple. We usually have a theme. Okay, what's your theme? <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, Grunion then introduces us to Harpo, who is out scrounging for food for the broke and hungry actors in the show. Here's a joke again that I just went. Come on, this is an easy fix. Okay, where he's going a uh, uh, place with hot delicacies in the front and hot diamonds in the back. No. 
cold delicacies and hot diamonds. Yeah, there you, you go. don't repeat the hot. Yeah, that's good. Good yeah. point. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Harpo's method is to hang around this upscale delicatessen, right? Which seems very odd to me that it's an upscale delicatessen. And offer yeah, it's carry... all fancy pantses, but yeah. but that's the only way it works. Because if he's stealing from regular people, you'll feel bad. That's right. But if he's stealing yeah. from the la di da's, eh, what well, they they can miss a meal. <laughs> Their <laughs> butler will make them something. They're sure, fine. Sure. Uh, so he offers to carry the parcels for 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 the swanky customers who are coming to this delicatessen. Right. And then he pilfers their baskets and and and, t- and filches food. Right. And know. if you think that's funny, you're going to see it a lot. And that is a problem with the sequence, is that it repeats the same joke over and over again. Yeah. There I I do like the him lighting the guy's cigar with his with his weird flower lapel. Which they then bring back which later. Which they bring back later. And so that's a good thing that, that it so that kind of works to the end of the film. Now quick question. Is this the point where they mention Harpo's name? Yeah, they call him Harpo. Yeah, what's that about? What are you doing? Why why is like uh why is why are you named Harpo? Yeah. Why are you the only one who's got their own name? Yeah. You know, I think, oh well it'll be Chico later. No. Nope. Uh <laughs> but Groucho's like, no, we clearly not that. But it's Harpo. Yeah. Okay. Well this seems like a holdover from when it was a Harpo solo movie and they just call him Harpo. Then I'm fine. But if yeah. you've got the other two Marx brothers yeah. and you're the only one going by that name, I mean it's better than wacky. <laughs> sure. I'll give you that. Sure is. But not by much. Sure is. Anything's better than wacky. Yeah, that bothered me, the Harpo. Stop it. Okay, continue, please. As Grunion telegraphs the plot by telling us that the delicatessen deals in hot diamonds, a limo pulls up outside the store. The manager. And by the way, does it deal in hot diamonds, or are these the only diamonds? These are the only diamonds. Because it seems like ever... their whole business exactly. plan is exactly. this one necklace. Yeah, yeah. Nothing they else. Deal. They don't deal. They got enough diamonds. money to like fund plays. Yeah. They got enough money to hire goons. Yeah. They got enough money to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. But one necklace is yeah. their whole deal. Sure. And they're not really keeping a good eye on it. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. No, they're not. And they're choosing a very silly transportation system for this diamond as well. No, okay. I'll tell you the one smart thing about it. Mm-hmm. We clearly learn uh, that no one, poor to rich. A uh, man to woman, yeah. anything to anything, yeah. uh, like sardines. I don't blame him. Sardines aren't bad. If oh. you okay, but go ahead. <laughs> so, we meet the manager Throckmorton, played by Melville Cooper, an actor I I, I like a lot. Pretty he good name. Great Throckmorton. Morton. He does a great. Uh, he's super super good in um, the, the Lady Eve, the Preston Sturges film. Oh, okay, he plays the valet to uh, to Eve and her father uh, Gerald as they're going a. Uh, Ocean liner to ocean liner, scamming passengers. And then he's also very good in uh, another movie I like quite a bit, which is um, Mr. Collins in uh, Laurence Olivier and Greer Garson in their in their Cuckoo Bananas version of Pride and Prejudice. Okay. It's such a goofy film, but it's, it's really good. It's really good because it's goofy. He's a really good Darcy. Okay. She's a terrible Elizabeth. And the film is a real nightmare in terms of uh, costuming and stuff like that. It looks like it was designed by Little Bo Peep. <laughs> uh, Throck, Throck Morton, indicating a nearby pile of crates, informs her that the sardines have arrived. <laughs> Aware of a nearby policeman, Madame Igalici, for it is she, upbraids Throck, Throck Morton for being indiscreet and tells him that they'll talk in his office. Uh, Madame Igalici is played by a woman named Ilona, or Ilona Massey, who is a Hungarian born actress. I guess that's why she could play a role that sort of 
sort of Russian. Right. And the whole gag with her is if she takes off her jacket, men are immediately seduced. Yes. Like hardcore seduced. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's weird later on when you have someone else come on. Like, you're like, well, this is clearly what the most attractive person of this era looks yes. like. Yes. This is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. This is the best. Enjoy, everybody. Yeah. You know, you can't top this. Then Marilyn Monroe shows up later on like, well, what movie is this? Why are we, we – now the bell curve is completely off. Um, that should just make Groucho explode at that point of like we're used to – there. We, and nothing oh, wrong with her. She's yeah. a very handsome woman. Yes. She's a very handsome woman Beautiful. who I'd like to help me move one day. She looks strong. Um, <laughs> that's, what, that's what people like then. Yes. Broad, broad back. This is a note to myself. Sure. Do not do more podcasts with Ian. <laughs> um, oh, I did it. So I didn't write down the right word. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll learn how to do this podcast eventually, very soon. Eventually. We have one more episode left. <laughs> uh, what I like about her is that she was in a, a couple of films with Nelson Eddy. Okay. Who's famous for being for Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy pictures, of course. And then the eternal classic Frankenstein meets the werewolf. I, mm. I like those. I like that combination of movies. Well before she was in this film, 1943, she was in Frankenstein Meets the Werewolf. What? Uh, that seems like a weird pairing to me. Sorry to tangent briefly, but just yeah. go like, so Frankenstein Meets the Werewolf. Yeah. Well, the werewolf can't really hurt Frankenstein. He's too big. Yeah. And, and the werewolf has no real interest in Frankenstein. Yeah. Who cares? Those two would not interact at all. Yeah. No, They would have no interest in each other whatsoever. Sure. Well, I didn't say it was interesting. There wasn't interesting. They actually met... One was Frankenstein was. By the way, I'm talking Frankenstein's monster. I understand Frankenstein. Frankenstein Frankenstein is the butler of the monster. I understand how that all works. (laughs) This is Frankenstein. The movie involves Frankenstein trying to start up a small business. (laughs) The werewolf is a banker who specializes in small business loans, and he comes comes there. Unfortunately, he comes at the wrong time of the month. And the werewolf eats his uh, well thought out business plan that he had put together. This prospectus that he he had had. Done up and oh, it's a, it's a quite a and quite feels a so bad. He shreds it. He lights yeah. it on fire to mm-hmm. try to make up for it. Sure, that sure. Frankenstein doesn't. And he starts throwing little girls into the water. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bad scene all the way around. And then Evan Costello show up, and they're all woo. <laughs> yeah. Look, folks, we're we're really close to the end of doing these podcasts. We're getting a little giddy. Saw, all right. If you want to just end it now, no one's bu- gonna, bu- no one's gonna blame you. If you want to just wrap it up now, spit it out, Lou. What did you see? <laughs> I saw a, I saw a banker. <laughs> she enters the store with her two henchmen. <laughs> One of whom is Perry Mason. Perry <laughs> Mason, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good for Raymond Burr. Uh, well, nice was- uh, New Westminster uh, fella. Uh, this uh, New Westminster local uh, local city nearby Vancouver, in case people didn't know. We that. got the Raymond Burr Theater, uh, mm-hmm. just a little uh, one uh, subway ride away from uh, where we're recording this. Hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> didn't you know that? No, I didn't know where yeah, it was. Yeah, the Raymond Burr Theater is in New Westminster. Oh, okay. Yeah. One Sky, sky Train? Yeah, you take the Sky Train. Oh, one Sky Train ride. Sorry, yeah. I was thinking station for some reason. No, not at all. That was dumb of me. That's Never fine. mind. Never mind. Meanwhile, <laughs> Harpo's activity catches the eye of the nearby policeman. And attempting to avoid attention, he hides behind a pile of crates on a sidewalk freight elevator. All right. The sidewalk elevator is lowered down to the basement of the store, and Harpo finds himself in a paradise of canned foodstuffs. Couldn't be happier. Which he proceeds to stuff into his jacket. The appearance of Throckmorton cuts short Harpo's shoplifting spree, and he quickly pretends to be one of the delivery men. 
He is almost shooed out of the store by Throckmorton, but is able to slip away and hide behind a convenient column. Throckmorton cracks open one of the sardine crates and begins madly searching through its contents, throwing cans of sardine behind him in a way that seems rather odd. Like, why would you throw them 10 feet behind you? Don't you have to, like, clean up after yourself when, you, when you're doing this sort of sneaky, sneaky stuff? Yeah, just put them off to the side. That's yeah. not faster yeah, than not just faster. picking them up and dropping them next to the thing. That's yes. not a quicker situation. Or here's another thing. Mm-hmm. Turn it upside down. Just like they're yeah. all falling on the ground now, you can find it. At the oh, end. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe kind of heavy, but uh, it's Harpo, not Harpo because we've it. established yeah. that all three of those guys were picking up cans of sard- uh, boxed sardines yeah. like they were nothing. That's true. That's true. Even Harpo, who's sixty-one years old, could pick up a can of. Harpo at first is at first upset to have been hit in the head by a tin, but is soon overjoyed at having so many valuable tins of food thrown at him. He catches as many as he can and stuffs his overstuffed pockets full of sardines. Yes. Suddenly. Throckmorton finds a sardine tin with a Maltese cross stamped on it. There's a cutaway shot of the tin, which reveals the Roanhop Diamonds. That he's got x-ray vision. <laughs> yes, that's right. The Roanhop Diamonds nestled grossly amongst the sardines. Yes. That smell will never come out. Mm. Those those diamonds will smell fishy for the rest. That's right. <laughs> and and <coughs> excuse me. diamonds are forever, as we've learned. Yes. Yeah. Sorry to seem to whip, whipped, whipped, wit, wet, wet, wet my, my whistle. A curious Harpo picks his pocket as he leaves the room. Throckmorton immediately misses the tin, but when he comes back down the stairs, Harpo is able to slip a nondescript sardine tin into his pocket. Yeah, why? Why? Yeah, what's uh, that business all about? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you've got infinite sardines. Oh, I want one more can of sardines. I think he's wondering why he kisses it. Because ah. remember, uh, Throckmorton says, oh, my darling, and then he kisses that oh, okay. sardine. Okay, it seems mean taking away the sardine can that he clearly loves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. A relief Throckmorton leaves, bringing the tin to Madame Igalici, who, we learn, will stop at nothing to own the Romanoff diamonds. Right. I guess her. I guess the business of the deli with all the hoity-toities, yeah. that's probably good business. Probably make it if all these rich people are in yeah. there shopping for meat. Sure, that's probably that's probably paying the bills while she's waiting for this uh, uh, diamond scheme, which yeah. is her only scheme, uh, to kick in. That she's been chased around the world by Groucho. Yeah, yeah. You, you think that, but the truth is, is that delicatessen business it's it's a cut meat business, and there's not a lot of you know there's not a lot of margin yeah. there. So you know he's and trim a lot of fat. They have to trim a lot of fat. Exactly. Yeah, you okay. have to keep keep things cut to the bone. Yeah, they got your number. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> okay, understood. That's all the deli jokes I can do right now. <laughs> We're in a pickle. That's right. Enough of that baloney. <laughs> she stopped. Almost to the end, folks. <laughs> We're very close to our last show. <laughs> she you can't fire us. <laughs> That's right. We, we quit. <laughs> she stops Throckmorton, whom, who, uh, whom she calls Lefty. Okay. To- which is did weird. You, did you check if he was left-handed in, in this at all? I did not look. Ah. Did not, didn't, well, let's assume he is. Uh, she stopped Throckmorton so she can savor this moment of success. She recalls the eight weddings in three months, which seems like a lot of weddings. Yeah. Doesn't anyone keep track? Like, isn't there announcements in the paper? Are people like, is she in the paper again? Who is she? What's happening to all these people? Mm-hmm. Eight weddings in three months to five commissars, two ambassadors, and one grand duke. It took all that for her to come into possession of the Romanov diamonds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's all that marrying. That's a lot of planning. A lot of planning. Yeah. Well, you know what? Though she also probably is funding all this with all the wedding presents. That's right. She's reselling them. Just she's stuff. actually just asking for just just give me money. Yeah. Yeah. Don't just in lieu of gifts. We got a money tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. just put it on that. Yeah. That or she's having to sell a lot of blenders. <laughs> when Throckmorton finally hands her the sardine tin, she is aghast to discover that it is unmarked. 
Throckmorton insists that it is the correct one and must opens have rubbed it. off. Yes, that's right. Must have rubbed off. Yeah. Uh, spilling out its disgusting contents as he searches in vain for the diamonds. You don't like my editorializing on, on sardines? No, that's fine. <laughs> Listen, there's some good sardine recipes you can add. Don't, don't worry about it. They're pretty, they're pretty good. And these are skinless and eyeless sardines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Madam. I don't know if that makes them better. <laughs> or slimy. Madam Igalici introduces Throckmorton to the Zoto brothers. Alphonse, yeah. played, as you said, by Raymond Burr, mm-hmm. who, of course, most famous for being the uh, suspected murderer in a rear window. That's right. And, and for being, uh, you know, if you, if you like like a Quentin Tarantino Kill Bill where that music, yeah, yeah. that's from Ironside. There you go. Another that's po- another popular show that he did, as well as Perry Mason, obviously. And, and oh, sorry. sorry, let's not let's not leave, yeah, out, don't leave out a little giant, uh, giant uh, Japanese monster named a, named a Godzilla. He was uh, speaking of interpolating scenes into into movies as Grocho was interpolated into this film. He was interpolated into the Japanese Godzilla movie. Now, wouldn't you say it would be better yeah. to take Raymond Burr's character out of Godzilla and add Groucho's character from this into Godzilla? Yes. Now you got a movie. Yeah, I think you do. Yeah. A much better movie. In fact, I wish wish that was possible. <laughs> so we meet Alphonse and Hannibal, who, due to the pronunciation by Ilona Massey through the film, I thought his name was Honey Bear. Because <laughs> she keeps saying his name and it sounds like Honey Bear. Oh. So you confuse Honey Bear with Hannibal? Yeah. Silence of the Lambs must have been an interesting movie for you. <laughs> That's right. Where are the sugar crisps? <laughs> uh, he's played by Bruce Gordon, uh, who's just one of those character actors who have like, you know, the, an arm's length yeah. uh, series of, of credits. Most famously played Frank Nitti on the original Untouchables. The, okay. Yeah. And Raymond Burr does a nice job in this. Let's just say he does good goon. He does good goon, but there's some weird stuff. Oh, there's there some too. weird stuff later. Okay. Yeah. Where he's like in a supervillain henchman outfit yeah. for no reason. Yeah. Like a completely different movie. Yeah. Completely different movie. Yeah. 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 We'll get to that later. <laughs> but yeah, for now, he's, he's, he's good. He's good goon work. So she introduces, uh, she introduces the Zoda brothers whose speciality is taking care of people Madame Igalici doesn't like. And so then we're treated to a scene of her pacing the room. Well, we hear Throckmorton, or Lefty, slowly destroyed by the Zotar Yeah, being horribly tortured. Like, (laughs) there's a sound of punches, anguished cries. Yeah, bones breaking, (laughs) awful things. And, and yet he's, he, he, you know, later on, he's fine. Like, she, they can, they can hurt you in a way that, like, and with a lot of great sound effects. It's very cartoonish because when they stand him up and he's like, he straightens out his leg and there's kind of like a sound as he like straightens his yeah. leg and stuff. Yeah, it's very cartoony. Maybe they're just beating him up with Foley work. <laughs> I think the Foley artist had a great time in that scene. They do enjoy torture in this movie. Mm-hmm. They, think, they think torture is pretty funny. Who doesn't? People who've been tortured. <laughs> or people with a soul. <laughs> okay. Uh, finally, Madam Eagley, she puts an end to all this. Because it's spoiling her concentration. Yeah, and he's too weak. He couldn't put up with all this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's clearly, he's not in on it. So she has Throckmorton revived, and he suddenly remembers the unusual appearance of Harpo in the basement when the sardines were delivered. A quick cut to a sped-up Harpo despoiling the shelves of the delicatessen's basement, sending the store spir- spiraling into bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Madame Igalici orders Throck- Throckmorton to call the police with a description of Harpo and the offer of a $1,000 reward for his capture. Harpo finally leaves the delicatessen basement, his pocket swollen with ill-gotten tinned asparagus tips. He takes the sidewalk elevator back up to the street level, 
only to find himself emerging behind the suspicious policeman. He sneaks away before the policeman can see him and his huge pockets. Meanwhile, back at the theater, Mike is dancing again while several beautiful women watch his efforts. Grinning's voiceover introduces us to Faustino the Great. He has come to the theater looking for work, but Mike isn't interested in hiring him. Despite the fact that he's looking for talented nobodies, there's no no one less well-known than uh, Faustino the Great. Yeah, that's pretty good. He, uh, it's it, also weird that like he's an actual mind reader. Supposedly. No, but he is. Like, no, he, he is because later on he'll like put a he'll read Harpo's mind over the phone. Like he's there's no that's doubt true. he's yeah, got that ability. It's not is very a, good, but yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing in a with a con man of just mm-hmm. like no no he 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 is. <laughs> he can actually is that does that make it better? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> because then later on you have to do a thing where like, well now wait, I can't read your mind because of a dumb reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, then mm-hmm. we're gonna go back to our normal shtick. All right, sure, that's fine. Sure. Oh, I forgot to say during the um during the scene where where, where Harpo is uh we get to see his his ability to take stuff from out of a basket three or four times during that sequence. But there's a lady with a chihuahua yeah. who's at, who barks at who barks at uh Harpo. Harpo. And she is in the credits in IMDB. But and so I was kinda of like curious who she was. So I looked her up. I can't remember her name now, it's not important. But what I thought was was kind of sad was that all her parts are all fat woman behind counter. Fat telephone lady. Fat. This every every part. She was. Oh, that must have just broke her heart every time they said, "said you know, Lena, they're looking for a fat lady." No, no. Here, I'm going to tell you what they did. Mm. Uh, here's what here's what it was. Yeah. Was someone would write a comedy script. Yeah. And it would go, uh, "Fat lady behind counter. Who have we got? Well, this woman played fat lady in the road, fat lady in car, and fat lady on roof. Hire her. Should yeah. we audition? No. Yeah. She's a fat lady. Yeah. That's what we need. Yeah. Done. So it's fine. One part, I look, I understand, but it puts, you know, it puts uh, food on the table. And then sure. that uh, fulfills the cycle and then yeah, <laughs> more work. But you're right. It's, uh, that sucks. She, I'm, she, it's, 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 a, it's, it's not a fun, it's not a fun credit. She, uh, well, she, I guess she was an important part of the whole delicatessen industry. Whenever I see, yeah, buying I, food. That's right. Whenever I see like a credit that's ugly man, yes. just like you couldn't. You couldn't think of anything else to call but Ugly Man because yeah. it's got to be on the resume mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. There were a couple where she had a name, and there was one where she was Stout Lady, which was later Jeez. on. I thought, I thought, well, I guess that's an improvement over Fat Lady. Yeah, Stout Lady. Okay. Poor, poor if your credit can also be a circus freak uh, listing, it's not great. <laughs> poor thing. So Mike joins Maggie, Bunny, and a man named Lions. By the way, I, I did like Chico being a, a con man again. I'm mm-hmm. happy to see him yes. not necessarily being the, I'm going to help you. Yeah. I'm a, your friend. We're I give you the shirt off of my back. Uh, couldn't it be a nicer? I'm an angel from a heaven. It's yeah, like, yeah. no, he's a ripoff guy. It's yeah, like, yeah. All right. I like it's good. That's to see good. Him. Yeah. With a little bit of ethics. And I nice. think that's, I think, you know, that's either Ben Hector, Frank Tashlin, who recognized that important part of his character in Night at Casablanca, where he gets a return to not being the friend of, of the, of whoever the, the bland guy is, Pierre, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pierre uh, Delmar. He's, you know, some kind of uh, huckster camel jockey. Yeah. You know, out in. Is that a proper thing to say? Anyway, he's a camel taxi cab operator. I think if you, I think it's okay if he literally is, <laughs> and you're just saying it about him. Yeah. Okay. We might be able to get away with it. Okay. And the and the podcast can continue. It, it just popped into my head, and then I realized I don't know. I think that's a nice thing. That to could say. be a slur. We don't know. If yeah. it is, we apologize. We promise to wrap up the podcast <laughs> within one episode. We apologize to anyone who rides a camel. Okay. In a in a competitive environment. Exactly. Uh, Lyons is played by uh, he who apparently is sort of an investor in the show. He's he's supplying the props. 
and the scenery and costumes for yeah, this for this show. For this review. And it's review. That's this correct. Themeless review. This themeless review. <laughs> have no fixed, no fixed anything. But you know what? <laughs> you can feel the same. We can say the same thing about the bandwagon. Like the bandwagon. It's a kooky banana. Like what kind of show are they putting on there? Like at first it starts off as like they're going to do this uh, version of Faust, mm-hmm. and then they car- hire some serious uh, theater director who turns it into this overly serious. Now what crazy is the bandwagon piece. from? Uh, Fred Astaire. The Fred Astaire film. The musical. With Fred Astaire. And Gene Kelly? No, Gene Kelly's not in it. All right, um, which one? Sid Charisse is in it. Okay, I'm not familiar with it. So. Uh, oh, it's a very good one. Very good film. All right. But it's basically, this becomes like a bunch of review, uh, you know, things. And in fact, it has a kind of, well, anyway. Anyway, hey, like, this is what feels weird to me. It's just yeah. like, hey, honey, what's what's playing tonight? Yeah. Well, we can go out and see some theater. Fantastic. Sure. What's playing? Uh, this random show? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. I love random things. Sure. You mean just random things that have unrelated to each other? Yeah, let's go see it. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not an uncommon failing in, yeah. in Hollywood films to have this play that people are rehearsing and you just cannot figure out what nope. the hell it's nope. about or what's going on in it. By the way, let me just say this to C- anyone. Calling who- Bear to stage. C- calling Bear on ice skate to stage. Wait, wasn't this Death of the Salesman that they're doing? I thought that's... <laughs> Why is there a rose skating bear? You know what it's symbolic of. Yeah. The bear was liked, but he was not well liked. Um, pretty good reference. Uh, what I would say to uh, young performers who are out there yeah. is like a fun thing might be to mount shows yeah. from movies in the past and actually see what those shows were all about. Sure. You know, mount those shows yeah. that were in the background of all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mount them. Uh, Lions. I was played by an actor named Leon Belasco, who is a, a Ru- American-Russian Performer and musician, obviously, we see later in the film, who his roles consisted of pianist, mm-hmm. violinist, mm-hmm. or waiter. Okay. That seemed to be what he played. Mostly uncredited, you know, just that little part. But when you see the movie, he seems very familiar. Like, he just seems like, oh, I've seen him in something else. Yeah. But he just has that presence. And There's probably, a bunch of people in this movie that I'm like, eh, I've seen you. I yeah. guess because you're also getting closer to the TV era. Yeah. So you see him in the it. background of, like, Beverly Hillbillies or something mm-hmm. and, you know. Well, that guy played that uh, Bruce Gordon who plays um, Hannibal or Honey Bear. Yeah, he's yeah in so many shows. Yeah, so many, so many shows. It's amazing. So Lyons is waiting for Max Yorkman, the show's Peter Tabacker, who is already ninety minutes late. We learn. Lyons announces that he is pulling out of the show and taking <sighs> back his props and costumes, despite the protests of Mike, Maggie, and Bunny. Faustino, who has overheard this conversation, tells Lyons that he is a friend of Max Yorkman. Oh. And that Yorkman is a big backer of the show. Oh. A relieved Lyons leaves, and Faustino has got himself a job in the show. Hey, that's an easy lie to uh, get caught. <laughs> hey, hey, that's a smart of me. There you go. By the way, this is about the point where I'm going, hey, where's Groucho? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we Groucho all? Groucho in this movie? Sure. Hey, Groucho would be good uh, in the movie. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's like gone for a walk and isn't even narrating it anymore. Yeah. Okay. Or you could be saying, gee, where is someone pompous that the uh, brothers can take down a peg? Yeah, that'd Any? also be good. Would that be nice? Uh, hey, where's the double talk sequence between uh, Grocho and, and, and uh, Chico? Uh, yeah. That'd be fun. Oh, we're backstage again. Boy. Hey, re- remember <laughs> when they were here before in a better movie? <laughs> By the way, if you like this movie, it's fine. And again, I'm always happy to see the Marx Brothers. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's clearly like, oh, we're out of money again. <laughs> All right. I well. think that's when you said that a lot of the shots feel like they're rushed or just good enough and i feel that's a big part of it too is that they didn't have a big budget so there was a real you know need to burn through 
uh, as many pages a day as they could. So there wasn't a lot of time to spend. Let's try that again. Let's try it with a different line. Let's try it with a different take. Let's have a different eyebrow. Let's sharpen wiggle. it up. Yeah. Let's make that tighter. Let's mm-hmm. make it work. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's fine. And also, there was a plan to, to tour this. But that fell through as well because once again there wasn't any money. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. they didn't get that. That wasn't going to happen clear. anywhere. Yeah. And I don't know if Watura would have really helped the film because there's no, there's no like big set piece for them to rehearse. There's no stateroom sequence. I'm there's sure no... if Groucho had rehearsed the uh, opening, uh, opening scene, it uh, would be tighter. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's have possible. The, yeah. Have the beach sure, down. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's a that's a lot. lot. You charge people just to go see him talk to you in a chair. Yeah, it's Groucho. He's, he's famous. <laughs> it's fun. So, yes, Harpo arrives at the theater where he narrowly avoids being captured by two cops who are discussing the reward for his capture, only to get near, trampled nearly to death by the entire theater company, stampeding for food. Yeah, okay, couple, okay. let's break down why this don't work. Um, okay. One, they got to be faster or more, okay? Yeah. But then, like, he's he's against the wall in a weird way. That's just like not really that funny. Like yeah. you could have him plastered, like spread out in the front. That'd be yeah. fine. But on like the, on the ground. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. It's weird that they just like tear this guy apart. Well, because like, later on they have him come with the wreath for a horse. Yeah, and he has the two like shoe horseshoe marks in his in the seat of his pants. Oh, okay. Like why couldn't they have had him laying on the ground with a bunch of footsteps all over? That'd him? be great. You know that would have been. Here's the biggest problem I think. If you want to just now that's just comedically I think the scene doesn't work for that. Yeah. Now let's go logic so every day he yeah. goes and robs a full deli because like he's had a good score today yeah that's great yeah. so normally no uh they they tear him apart take all the canned goods yeah. out of like every day he yeah. does this this sure. is your plan yeah is to send this poor schmuck out to steal yeah well then you know that that's what's happening well then you're all thieves yeah you're all thieves you don't that's what it is well get him to go steal money then sure, and yeah, get your yeah, money then yeah. what are you doing they should be mounting oliver twist and all of them are playing fagin yeah what's that what's that and also by the way he had a lot of sardines in his pocket sure did and clearly we've learned that no one likes sardines no so for cats yeah and and so everyone's coming out with all these different foods they're like not foods that he put in his pockets well that's the thing it's an upscale deli and someone comes in asking for some really obscure thing in it like uh some sort of jelly like you know elephant jelly or whatever and he's like oh that's coming in next week and so all the like the shell the search shells aren't full of like you know normally edible food that's what i was talking about asparagus tips yeah. because what else you know patty de foie gras yeah and just like all kinds of weird stuff that you wouldn't normally yeah if you're eat. Pl- if you're that's play- what's going to be in this if upscale you're playing deli. this for a beat in a movie now yeah you would then have all of these poor starving a- actors having eaten this rich fancy food <laughs> yeah. all laid out on the ground <laughs> just in pain and now they can't do the show because they ate uh they ate like you know pate horse meat for the very first time or whatever yeah i mean the french kind of horse meat not the cheap horse meat the the good stuff you know yeah. what i'm talking about there I know what you're, you know I'm talking about that and i do i did like the thing where he feeds a string of sausages this into the front nostril yes cow, that was nice good bit and then i also enjoyed i know you said checking out the back i know you said it was a repeat but somehow seeing it i thought it was a more dynamic version of this joke and that probably erased my memory of the original yeah. version of it where he goes to give the maltese crossed tin of sardines to the actor in the uh, playing the back yeah. of the cow who refuses it you know, because he's a fancy he's man. Fancy and he he's fancy. He combs the, his hair in that fancy way. Yeah, he's an arrogant uh, cow's behind. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Right, that's right. And uh, Harpo gives him a ham instead for his melodramatic refusal. For you know, and I kind of enjoyed that joke, but yep. as you say, it was a repeat. I believe it was. Yeah. Cut to some days later, Maggie is dancing on stage, and Harpo is watching her entranced. Sure. 
for Chico, a long time. Chico approaches looking for food. Now, the reason that we know that it's several days later is because we know that Faustino doesn't know Harpo's character, but in the sequence, he knows Harpo's character. Mm. And he says, you're, th- you're thinking the same thing you've been thinking for the last few days, which is, you know, that he's staring at Maggie and he, ah, that he loves her. Ah, okay. Yeah. At first I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. They don't know each other, so how come he knows what which Harpo's thinking? But I think, obviously, this was a clumsy way or a, just a who-cares way of pushing time forward, you know, they didn't care enough to t- give some obvious clue that time's gone. Yeah, forward. I mean, here's uh, sorry, not again to correct, but here's here's an easier way of doing that. Hey, you're thinking the same thing you were thinking all day, thinking about her. Yeah, yeah, that's all, and it would be the same thing, and it still mm-hmm. works for the logic of he's just been here a day. Yeah, that'd be fine. But no, three days. No, yeah. So he offers to read Harpo's mind, and then he, you know, then he says, "You're thinking the same thing you're thinking about the day before and the day before that, which is his unrequited love." For Maggie. Oh, by the way, here's a joke from earlier that was like uh, also a ugh for me. Okay. Which was uh, when you introduce uh, Faustino and Groucho goes, you know, he's a he's a the greatest mind reader in the world if he only had a mind. Yeah. What's that mean? That doesn't mean yeah, like mean, if yeah. you're a mind reader, you don't need a like the logic that didn't <laughs> that didn't flow. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's other ways to get to you know it's too bad he doesn't have a mind of his own yeah too bad he, blah, blah, blah. he's got a lot of room to read because sure. he doesn't have you know a library full of his own brain there's a lot of things yeah. but like if he only had a mind that's not yeah. that makes sense okay and go also ahead. he 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 proves several times that he has a mind he cleverly steps in with lions yeah he's to the cleverest a job. he's the cleverest guy in this whole thing yeah yeah, yeah. so the whole the whole insult doesn't really pay off nope. anyway. Harpo pulls out the sardine tin with the Maltese cross, but Chico insists that Harpo promise him something special. Harpo reaches into his other coat pocket and pulls out an ice cream cone. And? And overjoyed Chico walks away saying, Tootsie Fritzy ice cream. Boom! Which is a nice callback. Yep. But Reminding nice. you of better movies. Reminding me of better movies. I do like that he has an ice cream cone in his pocket because that brings us to the impossible Harpo, which I, I, yep. I prefer. And impossible Harpo will be showing up very shortly. Maggie finishes her dance rehearsal. And but, Harpo, by the way, can I just oh, start sure, to yeah, you Do you think this works in that if you're watching, say this is the first movie you're ever watching of the Marx Brothers. Sure. I'm, okay. sure, I'm sure it is for some people. For some people. Okay. So you got Harpo. Those poor suckers. And we're establishing what Harpo is. Yeah. And the first scenes we see with Harpo, he's just a guy with a coat. Yeah. When he puts stuff in his coat, it fills up the coat. Yeah. He can't do anything magical. He's just a regular guy yeah. with a coat. Yeah. By this point, he's a little magic. In a couple of scenes, he's full magic. Yeah. By the end, he's a full-on cartoon character. Yes. Does yeah. that work, or should you have a thing, at least at the very beginning, where he does one little cartoon thing? Yeah. You know, I mean, admittedly, he's got his flower that's a flame, but, you know, maybe that could be a lighter. Yeah. Does he need to establish what he is, or do we just go, that's fine, this character just becomes magic as this goes along <laughs> for no established reason, yeah. it's fine, because, yeah. you know, Harpo, right? Like, if you don't, but you shouldn't have to know what Harpo is for the movie itself to work. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is a little bit of a flaw because you're starting it off too grounded. Yeah. Yeah. And I I agree with you. And I think it does, it does kind of show the problem of his character as a sentimental character is that it does, you know, you try to create that grounded character and then you end up going like off the rails because the nature of Harpo is that the impossible gag is, is, is his. Is what he does. Right. You know? You're pulling everything out of his pockets, mm-hmm. but we've established that, yeah. no, he's just, he fills up his pockets with stuff and that's how the, his pockets work. Yeah. No, they're magic later. It's starting, it feels like it's starting with Bugs Bunny, 
but he's just a regular rabbit that can't talk. Yeah. And he's just doing rabbit stuff. <laughs> and by the end, he's wisecracking with a carrot and he's blowing <laughs> things up with dynamite. It's like, yeah. when did this happen? Yeah, yeah. When did he get magic powers? <laughs> but okay. Just a question. You're w- just throwing things out there. You're allowed to ask. I'm questions. asking questions that people don't dare to ask. It's about time. That's right. I demand answers. (laughs) We are the hard-hitting Marx Brothers podcast. That's right. We ask the questions no other Marx Marx Brothers podcast dares to ask. Like, what are these other Marx Brothers podcasts? Yeah, what are we just listen to them? (laughs) Why you listen to this one? Yeah, we just rip them off. What's wrong with you people? Maggie, okay, yeah, I'll say Maggie finishes her dance rehearsal and Harpo sets a table for her with a tablecloth preset with dishes, silverware, and even a plate of buttered toast. So there's a magical moment for you. Unless that toast is plastic. Yeah. And he's just pasted it onto a tablecloth. So the first time we've seen him be magic, ice cream cone. Second time, he now can do yeah. this trick. Yeah. All right. He gives Maggie the unappreciated tin of sardines with a Maltese cross. But she decides to wait until tomorrow to open it. Well, she's got a lot of food there. She doesn't have to eat a whole tin of sardines with it. Those sardines on toast wouldn't be too bad. If you say so. It's back then. They didn't know. <laughs> cut. Not as a cut. It's sort of a fade in from, a fade out, fade from sardine tin to loudspeaker announcing Bunny's number during the rehearsal. Bunny sings a spirited number called Who Stole That Jam? Yeah, it's a good number. Which I enjoyed. Yeah. It's kind of, it's if this fun. was in a better movie, it'd be especially good. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. I wish it was a better movie. That's what I mean to say. That's why, that's why I agree with you. Harpo appears on stage during the number, and when Bunny and the cast have some fun with him, he runs out of the theater and right up to a policeman. Do you think that the, the cast like him? <laughs> it's like weird. It's almost seeming bullyish, I right? Think, this, I think Are they having too. good-natured fun with him? I think they're having him? fun. I think they're all smiling, except they're not mad at him. And they're not, it, doesn't feel like they're, yeah. it doesn't feel like they're doing it like cruelly. They're just having some fun. All right, that's good then. He's overreacting in a weird way to it. Like, you know. You stole a jam. Okay, you're singing a song about someone stealing jam. I don't honestly believe that you're accusing me of stealing jam. Oh wait, I honestly think you're accusing me of stealing jam. By the way, let me pull a lollipop. singing to me? Let me pull this giant lollipop out. Yeah. I don't want that lollipop. Yeah. Oh, wait. is this part of the song? That's weird. <laughs> Are you setting me up for a part of the song? Or? <laughs> <And> that rhyme. <laughs> that was odd. Are we full magic lucky. now? That was is lucky. this a dream? I was lucky that I had a lollipop that rhymed. <laughs> if I'd pulled out a shoe, that would have ruined the song. Yeah. Thanks for not getting this lollipop earlier when you, like, all beat me up for food. <laughs> and also, you missed that whole picnic that I had in my pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Harpo runs outside to a, poli- to a policeman. By the way, the oldest, least in shape policeman I've ever seen in a movie, I think. Like, this really? guy. Okay. Oh, this guy. This guy does not look... Like, you can see some burly policemen in films. This guy's even burly. Mm-hmm. He is just out of shape. He is pear-shaped. He's not out of shape. He's a diff- wrong shape, I guess I should say. He, uh, yeah, he doesn't look healthy to me. And back guy. then, in comedy movies, yeah. policemen were just jerks, right? They were just always jerks. Full-on yeah, jerks. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, okay. That was their role. Yep. Authority. Authority or jerks in a comedy. The policeman pursues Harpo back into the theater briefly losing him when Harpo hides behind the back row. Oh, that but, should be safe. But when Harpo inadvertently bumps the seats, he causes a domino effect of folding rows of theater seats, crashing down. I did like that. That's a good scene. That's it a is good, a that's great a visual. That's a good-looking visual. That's good right. Visual that yeah. probably was thought about in the day because they realized, oh, look what these seats can do. Otherwise, why would they, unless they planned and brought all those seats in, which seems weird to me. They looked like they were using an actual theater. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, they could have cleared the seats out and then put those seats in mm, and like did it. It's a, it's, a, it's a worthwhile gag. It is, yeah. yeah. And by the way, I'm glad that he set those off because those seats would have killed people. 
killed a Doing lot that? of people. Doing that? I think so. Why? Well, if one person falls forward, oh, I see. then we're going to crush like a whole audience. Well, I think the weight of the people would keep the seats from all flopping Unless forward. Unless they fall forward as well, and then it's uh, right, what like, you call the domino effect of people. <laughs> like you're, you're just saying, you're just assuming <laughs> okay. that this is going to stop the uh-huh. thing. Uh, but am. if like, if there's some big people, I'm still let's, assuming that. let's say some people cast as, I don't want to say this, but fat ladies <laughs> in the back, and they fall forward, all right, all right. then uh, this production of you know Man of La Mancha, yeah, uh, there's going to be many many deaths. Uh, man of Lasquancha. <laughs> huh? No, really? No. Save it for next episode. Man of Lasquancha. <laughs> Not Lasquasha. No. Squancha. That's why I said. Forget Justify it. that. I, I can't. <laughs> So I said, forget it. Then I just said okay, it anyway. Okay, listen. Here's what you do, Dave. Yeah. If a joke doesn't work, just wiggle your eyebrows a lot and then look up <laughs> like you're adorable. There you go. You sold it. <laughs> Thank goodness. Man of La Squancha. Let's take it. Let's write it in the – put it in the script. Uh, so, yes. So he sees that he's hiding against the back wall and then the uh, policeman runs after him. As much as this policeman, poor guy, can run after anyone. Back at Madame Igalici's apartment – Throckmorton is telling a policeman his tramp is not the tramp they're looking for. He shuts the door and opines to Madame Igalici that she will have to increase the reward. Suddenly, at that moment, the buzzer rings, mm-hmm. and the policeman from the previous scene enters, holding Harpo by the coat collar. Throckmorton is visibly moved upon seeing Harpo, and Harpo reacts as strongly trying to twist himself out of the policeman's grasp. Throckmorton informs Madame Igalici that this is indeed the man who was in the basement. She waves him away and stands, removing her jacket to reveal... An impressive décolletage. Even Harpo is impressed. She tells the policeman that although Harpo is not the man they are looking for, she feels sorry for him and wants to give him dinner. The policeman is then quickly dismissed, and Madame Igalici turns her attentions on Harpo. Right, like, and that's nice, by the way, to the police officer not asking Harpo what he wants. Like, no, you have to stay because rich lady says you do. Sure, yeah, Yeah. I'll get a thousand dollars for this. That's what that guy's saying. Uh, So Madame Igalici stares at Harpo, giving him what Alphonse Soto calls. The whammy. Ah. So we get that weird kind of woo effect yep. in this movie. Yeah. Harpo becomes smitten by Madame Igalici, and he is easily searched by the Zoda brothers who find a string of jingle bells. Right. Oh, by box. the way, she takes off her uh, the, whatever shoulders, revealing yeah. her shoulders. Oh, yeah. Which back then was what was known as second base. Oh. When you got to see a woman's shoulders. <laughs> a woman's shoulders. That's right. Wow. Well, it's a improvement on the Victorian era when it was just. Yeah. And of course, back then though, there were 17 bases. Mm. So you gotta, you gotta oh, know yeah. that. So it's not that great a thing. Yeah. You had to cover your bases. Yes. That's what women would say when they got dressed. I have to cover my bases. Yeah. All 17. All 17 <laughs> bases. And then when they did, they go, bases are loaded. Mm. Does that, is that what happened when they got drunk? Yeah, sure. Okay. Wig, wiggle your eyebrows. <laughs> there you go. Zoda brothers. <laughs> Who, okay, who find a string of jingle bells, Okay. a music box, sure. a fireman's helmet, yep. a mannequin leg, okay. a woman's mannequin leg, yep. a welcome mat, sure. an umbrella, okay. a barber's pole. All right. I like, I which like. they put down very carefully. <laughs> yes, that's true. They did. And it looked like it was moving when they first picked oh, it up. It was like, it is moving. oh, it's rotating. And then they put it down and it seemed to stop oh, when okay. they put it down. Okay. A shaving mug and brush, which seems weird. You go from barber pole to shaving mug and well, brush. Well, he robbed the barber place, oh, so okay. he got the shaving okay. mug and brush while he was in there. A life preserver. Okay. A mailbox reading Moss Kaufman. Yeah, I wonder what that's RFD about. Bucks County. So I was thinking to myself, is it a reference to Moss Hart and George S. Kaufman, who perhaps lived in Bucks County? I know that George, or I know that, um, Perelman, who wrote, S.J. Perelman, who wrote, uh, on Horse Brothers and Monkey Business, lived in Bucks County. It was a very popular place, um, to, for people to live who worked in New York because it was an easy, easy commute, but it was also rural. 
So I'm just that's what I'm kind of wondering. So, yeah, it's weird that it has those names on it. So I kind of feel like it's a shout out. Uh, another mannequin leg, a horse collar, a block of ice, horse feathers, and then Rosebud's Rosebud the sled. That's what I assumed it yeah, was yeah. Rosebud. Yeah. It totally is. It totally okay, is. Good. And even a dog. Yeah. The oh, the dog's a tough one. Yeah. What happens to the dog? No, no, no. The problem. The problem is. It's again. It's just a. It's just a weird joke thing where like, it can't be a cat because we're gonna have a cat later. Yeah. But we've already had a dog earlier on, mm. and the dog was reacting to Harpo. I'm like, okay, so Harpo had a dog oh. with him, like the whole thing, right? So it's like, what's that the... should have been the magic moment when the dog is the dog is barking and we don't know why, and his dog peeps out of his jacket at the at the. Yeah, it used to be dog. Harpo could just show his chest and like there'd be a doghouse with yeah, a dog yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, but it almost feels like you could have done a couple of ways. You could actually had like the woman's dog goes missing then. You think like, what happened to the dog? It stopped uh, barking. And then you bring the dog back later on and like he took the dog. But the, pr- the problem is because we've had a, we've had a dog. Yeah. The reveal, it's just a comedy thing of like the reveal of another dog. It's just like, it just takes it off a little bit. So you're like, it should be a different animal. I'm not yeah. sure what it should be, but it can't be a cat because we're going to have a cat. It can't be a dog. It's going to be a dog. Could it be a seal? Could we bring the seal back? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's something along those lines that would have to be like, you know, an animal that's like sure. a, a, a good sized animal that's funny to come out. But yeah, dog for me didn't quite work because of that. Can I go a separate way? Sure. From that? Man of a squatch. <laughs> no, I got, I got what it should be. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's what it should be. So he's bringing out, uh, he's bringing out, uh, the barber pole. Yeah. Then he brings out Rosebud. Yeah. And then he brings out Zeppo. Oh. <laughs> it's just like, I've been stuck in there for four pitches. <laughs> and then he leaves. <laughs> That would be pretty good. Yeah. I was thinking actually that And that's my Zeppo, by the way. Oh, that was very good. I'm Zeppo <laughs> Marx. This is my voice. <laughs> Since I've been stuck in the pocket for like four pitches. Yeah, yeah. A lot of lint in his throat. <laughs> yeah. No, instead of having all the instead of having all those items, just have it all sardine tins. But not the right ones, obviously, but just like a huge pile of sardine tins. You couldn't get rid of them. Yeah. You could not get rid of them. Uh, and then one large flapping fish comes out. <laughs> Madame Igalici dismisses the Zoto brothers and attempts to seduce Harpo into telling her where the tin is. Sure. But becomes frustrated by Harpo's silence and orders the brothers to begin working on him. We cut from that. Yeah. By the way, I well, now that we've built up the, the uh, built up some tension, let's cut. Yeah. I do like <coughs> I do like no one at any point goes, he can't talk. It's again, it's just it's yeah, good. Yeah. It's good. It's mm-hmm. it it plays to the magic of Harpo. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And we're like, well, c- clearly he can't actually tell her anything, but no one brings up that point that yeah. like, hey, this yeah. guy don't talk at all. He's some kind of mute. <laughs> it's <laughs> like they don't do that nonsense which they've done in previous yeah. movies. Uh, I enjoyed your impersonation of Raymond Burr there as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I inside. <laughs> Remember that? Listen, hamburger. That's right. Hey, look at that Godzilla out there. Stomping around. <laughs> being a being a Godzilla. Objection. <laughs> Madame Igalici dismisses the Zoda brothers. Oh, sorry. Uh, Groucho reappears to show us a number of tussles he'd had with Madame Igalici. I know. We're like, Groucho, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you still in this movie? But I have to say, I love all those pictures. They're great pictures. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great seeing still pictures of funnier movies. He also... <laughs> Well, he also these all look like good things yeah. I would have liked to have seen. But what's weird is he's wearing a kilt, and he yeah. goes under the he goes under the the pseudonym Agnes. Like why? Oh, I don't want uh, people to think that a guy wears a kilt. Wait a minute. Yeah, 
do you think it was Angus and he read it wrong and they just oh, went, forget it? Yes. It's good enough. You're right. <laughs> You're right. That is exactly what it was. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he also tells us of Faustino's attempts to keep lions happy. So we get the uh, shot of, of lions looking uh, over the chorus girls <laughs> and then choosing one of them. And then and then uh, Faustino saying, she's married and has kids or something like that. You know? yeah. you're like, well, all of them are people. What are we doing? Like, what is the scene even in the movie? Yeah. Or actually, it wasn't in the movie. It was, it was cut out. Oh, okay. But they put it back in for the DVD. The cast then rehearses the... I like how they announced this. We're going to do the Sadie Thompson number. <laughs> okay. With Maggie in the Sadie Thompson role. All right. Turns out, mm-hmm. hear me out, Sadie Thompson was a 1928 silent film based on a W. Somerset mom story called Rain, which is also a movie, about a fallen woman who comes to Pango Pango in the South Pacific to start a new life, but meets an overzealous missionary who attempts to force her back to her old life in San Francisco. The original film called uh, starred Gloria Swanson, of course, was in Sunset Boulevard. Right. Lionel Barrymore and Raul Walsh also acted in it and directed the film. He would later become just a director, but yeah. And then there was a remake made in 1953 with Rita Hayworth. I thought it was kind of interesting. I didn't realize that was a thing at one time that we'd be like, we're going to do the Sadie Thompson number. Yeah. And people would be like, oh, Sadie Thompson number. Oh, good. I know what this is. This is about a woman who's loose, who has, or is perceived as having loose morals, comes to this island, is, you know, preyed upon by, by, you know, woman hungry men, but is protected by, by the, uh, preacher or and then also becomes also becomes uh his she becomes tormented by him or whatever his he tries to tries to change her or tries to improve her or whatever you know anyway it's a dance number <laughs> back at Mita Mikali, uh back at madame igalici's harpo undergoes the hungarian rope torture six hours smoking a rope yeah okay so all right so is this is the deal that it's the actual rope torture is a different thing and so this is the bit or is it was this actually a thing or what's the deal i don't know uh, is it hungarian because that's where ilona massey was from so they just jokingly called it the hungarian rope torture i did write a joke about it <laughs> you did write a joke okay sure this is my joke okay which is like that has been smoking this rope for like you know whatever 14 hours straight or whatever it was and it's like we finally you know mercifully gave him a break and like he gets up and he just lights a cigarette that's <laughs> <laughs> a smoke break and then it's like goes back to it and it's smoking back in the rope. but nope he was just smoking rope just smoking i did rope. i did like like raymond burr is so a Tex Avery cartoon. Yes. For the next couple of scenes, oh, like yeah. he just goes full Tex, yeah. where he's just holding a knife up to yeah. him and with just a, like stabbing him a little bit, like a little stab, 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 yeah. smoke, smoke, yeah. smoke. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's I would odd. love to have heard from Raymond Burr what it was like to shoot this. Mm. You know, that yeah, would have yeah. been that would have been great. Not Rear Window. No, I want to hear this. <laughs> rear, rear Window. What was that? It was just like uh, you look out the window. Hey there, you're mad. Now it you're was cr- an entire set built. That's oh, beautiful. But we've seen that. We've seen like it's fine. There's lots of that stuff about Rear Window. What was it like doing this nonsense? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it is nonsense. Uh, Harpo is tied to a spinning wheel, like you'd see at a fair. Yeah, and then like Groucho makes jokes about you know make a bet. Yeah, yeah but yeah. you've made the wheel to look like that. Like yeah. it's not you're not making a joke. Like you're make, you're putting a hat on a hat. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, yeah, the wheel does look yeah. like that. And also he says it's it's the rack. Well, that's not the rack. No, no, it's not a rack. That's the wheel. Yeah. Okay. Well, why are you calling it the rack for? Like, exactly. is it is it that every one of these things has a real torture equivalent, but you're just showing me a twist on it, and that's the bit because we all know these torture bits. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or what? Okay. I don't know. But anyway, oh. he's going spinning. 
You'd think like someone would be throwing knives at him or something too, but yeah. I guess because we're going to have a thing later on, that's fine. All right, moving on. Also, you uh, you put a hat on a cat. He's washed inside an industrial washing machine. Okay, that one. Which is weird, because this is where we see uh, Raymond Alphonse, Burr Raymond's character. Yeah. is in full supervillain. Yeah, he's got like a, a skull, uh, like a skull on his. Yeah, what's on this a, about? On a satin. Yeah, like, like a pirate. What's with that outfit? And then the weird, other weird part is, I guess the way the machine was, because they were obviously just using an industrial washing machine that was already located somewhere, and they just set up their cameras and filmed. Right. And in order to have him overlooking the the roller, so he could see the squished horn come out and the and the, yeah. and the top hat, he had to lay like he lay in some sort of like glamour position on top of a <laughs> shelf, staring down like dotingly, looking down like, oh, I love this rollers on like it's like his boyfriend yeah. or his girlfriend that he's staring at. He's just like, oh, oh, rollers, how I love you. And now that and then he's the gone, top hat comes out full. Okay, now he's now we're now we're really in full cartoon. Yeah. Like he's in an outfit that he's going to use while he's torturing Bugs Bunny. Yeah, like yeah. or or anything. Like this <laughs> yeah. is beyond James Bond. The sure. henchmen James Bond don't wear these outfits. Yeah. So like out comes uh, the horn. Yes. Out comes the hat. Yeah. Now comedy of threes says something sure. else has to come out. That's right. And that's going to be Harpo probably. Right. He's going to come out and like be flat or something. Yeah. Right. Nothing. No. No, that's the end. The two, comedy of twos. Two, 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 two. And also, we're Take going this, the comedy of twos with a horn first and then a hat second. Yeah. No, hat first. Okay. Then the horn, because right. the horn is funnier than the hat. That's right. You put the hat on the horn. Right. What are you doing? And then, and then as it's coming out, it's got to go, ah, because it's honking. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Ah, how do you not? Okay. <laughs> then he is tied. To a chair with a pot of boiling coffee nearby and eggs cooking in a frying pan. Right. With a samovar slowly dripping water onto his head. Right. Like the whole bit is like, oh, you can't have this delicious meal because mm-hmm. he's really hungry. But he's also got the dripping torture. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's that about? Yeah, it's very odd. And, makes... and the biggest problem, though, is that it wrecks his hair for like the rest of the scene. He's got this like straight hair going down like he's a beetle. Right. And you want at that point for him to just like shake his head and, and it fluffs up. Sure. Because yeah. you're magic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. shake it off, Harpo. <laughs> oh, it's just... Uh, so, Madame Igalici decides to give him the apple test. This involves a William Tell-inspired torture where an apple placed on Harpo's head is shot at by his torturers. Yeah. Harpo, in his desperation, grabs the apple off his head and begins to madly eat it. Alphonse attempts to stop him, but Harpo bites his arm and takes his gun. Right, can I, I just say... Again, I do like this sequence. Yeah, anyway. here's a, yeah it's, got, it's got a good bit. Here's here's one of the things I think that scene needed. Yeah. It's like, because he shoots the apple. Sure. Okay, so he's eating the apple. Yeah. You need one point from the pause and spit out the bullet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That nope. would have been, been good. Yep. Wait, did it happen? Oh, no, it did. It didn't happen. Yeah, it's great, because he's like, got the gun, and he's pointing his head, yeah. clicking it. And the, and it's weird, though, they, then, then they say to him, he wouldn't shoot it. He hasn't got the nerve. He just did twice. <laughs> he hasn't got the nerve. He just did it. Yeah, I know. Got the nerve. Well, I feel like that's, once again, that was probably a sequence that was developed on set. And the the voiceovers were in the script. So they just sort of put it put into yeah. the film anyway. But the logic, the logic doesn't work because it's like, he gets the gun yeah. and then, uh, don't worry, that gun's empty. Yeah. Why was it empty? You mm-hmm. had one bullet. You were going to shoot it at the apple and then you're going to reload every time sure. for the apple torture bit. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. No. Then silly. he's like sh- clicking it, clicking it against his head because he believes him. All right, that's fine. And then shooting that way. But now there's bullets. But now there's, but what's, uh, what was it? Even it's with silly. the eternal logic of what you're doing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Duck, rabbit, duck with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. There's logic to what they're doing. 
if 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 they were doing that and then the gun just exploded for no reason, oh, it just makes sense. Okay, go ahead. But it's a <laughs> it's good timing. It is a it is a fun gag. But it doesn't the apple and shooting himself in the head. It would have been better if he if they'd said that gun is loaded, and then he pulls the trigger and it, it doesn't go. You know that doesn't fire, yeah. and they're like, oh. Is it loaded? And then he shoots it, and then it, you know the bullet. They're like, "Oh, he's got a gun!" And so yeah. then he puts it to himself again, and it's you know. I also do like that better. Harpo doesn't aim the gun at them, but aims it at himself. Yeah, and so that's that's the thing. Yeah, because he wouldn't. Because clearly he could kill all three of them, <laughs> and this would be the end of the movie. The yeah. end. Yeah. Everything's fine, and it's self defense because they've been torturing him for a long period of time. That's true. When it is finally established that Harpo has truly run out of bullets, they take him and throw him into a room where he continues to eat the apple. Harpo sees a phone and dials the theater. Madame Igalici listens in on another phone, eager to hear what Harpo finally has to say. Uh-huh. But Harpo doesn't say anything. His horn has magically reconstituted itself from being a squished thing to now it's a normal horn. He's yeah. able to honk it. Why is the horn able to do that and your hair is not? <laughs> Harpo gets Faustino on the, on the line. Faustino is excited and asks ask Lions to stop making noise. Lyons is taking back all the costumes and props, as he had long threatened to do. Mm-hmm. Faustino attempts to read Harpo's mind, which Harpo cleans with a handkerchief through his ears. It's which a, is a good effect. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good effect. effect yeah. Then sticks a telephone By the way, receiver. if you want to buy that effect, it's about 15 bucks in a magic store. Mm. Yeah, have fun with it. Sure. Uh, they have to have really long hair like, like Harpo's. Yeah, it helps if you... Maybe that is the reason that you've got the wet hair that's down there, because it would yeah. be a harder gag to do with up hair, but mm. down hair, yeah, you can pull it off a little easier. Mm-hmm. So I can get the logic of the hair still being wet. Uh, yeah, so then Har- Harpo sticks a telephone receiver to his forehead. Faustino then proceeds to misread Harpo's thoughts, thinking that Harpo was having a party while people hit him with apples. Right. Yeah, but So he's not a good mind reader. No, no. But he, he has superhuman abilities. He can. He, can he is super powered. Okay, good. And then he thinks that a beautiful woman was in love with Harpo for his sardines. Mm-hmm. Faustino attempts to stop Lyons from taking back the scenery and props by convincing him that Harpo would soon come with this with this rich woman. So I guess Harpo hangs with the phone. So when that fails to work, he has Lyons play his violin while he plays the piano. Yep. They play Gypsy Love Song. Right. I like the I'm gonna noodle around. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what do you mean a noodle around? It's like uh, it's like this. Okay, I do the macaroni or yeah, something yeah. like that. I was like, you yeah, noodle it's... around, I'll macaroni around. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Harpo first, or sorry, Ch- uh, Chico play, first played this song in the coconuts. Oh, is that right? That was his piano number in the coconuts. Yeah, yeah. It's nice seeing the two of them jamming together. It's yeah, good. it's kind of fun. Despite, by we, the way, was the guy who's playing the violinist a famous violinist? No, he's the guy who played lines. He's just an actor who is also a just an, an actor who happened to be play yeah. violin like amazingly well, and also played the piano. Yeah, very good. Yeah. As I was saying, usually in a movie, he was either a pianist, yep. a violinist, yep. or a waiter. That was his uh, three go tos. We need a we need a Russian sounding piano player. Well, I know a guy for you. In real life, people who were pianists and violinists yeah. also were often waiters. That's true. <laughs> they have that skill. Mm. Despite Faustino's efforts, the theater is soon empty of all its props and scenery. Mike announces to the cast that the show is an opening. Mike and Maggie sit at a table eating their dinner, fighting over Mike's decision to close the show. Mm-hmm. Maggie finally opens the can of sardines with the diamonds inside. Oh, may I ask, did we have the fancy pants return of the of that actor yet, or is that later? Oh, that's right. Sorry, yes, that's what he said. Why don't we be like the theater of old, yeah. dude, with no costumes, no sets, and no salary? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, well, that wasn't what the theater of old was like at all. <laughs> no, but okay, fair enough. Sure, you just meant let's be plucky. Yes, let us be plucky. Uh, by the way, I like that guy. 
that guy's got the right attitude. He does. And then the guy, no, we can't do that. Yeah. Oh. That mic is this. Well, then why don't you go to hell? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) You're no showrunner. That's right. I'm better than all of you. (laughs) I will do this, sir. Yeah, no kidding. I cannot dance, but I can comb my hair in an interesting manner. I can be the buttocks of any animal. A giraffe. A dog. A whale. (laughs) Sir, I played bottoms all around this fair town. <laughs> I've tried audition for bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. That I got the part. I didn't understand what the part was. Apparently, it was an actual man. I said, "Could I play his bottom half?" They said, "Nope. We're just going to go with a regular guy." So fair enough for me. The part that truly surprised me that he's called bottom, and yet it's the top part of him that has the the head on it. Doesn't he become like a cow's head or a donkey's head? Donkey's head. The donkey's head on him. I said, "That's ridiculous. He should have a animal's bottom." <laughs> But I shall play this bottom. <laughs> as soon as my name is Phil Batinsky, the greatest ass actor in all of New York. <laughs> there goes our explicit rating. It's no, it's fine. It's You've fine. already said that. I already word. said it. I was gonna, ble- I was gonna bleep it out, but I can't. No, be no, bothered. no. That word's not a swear. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. We're talking about donkeys. That's right. <sighs> Both cases, we're saying actual animals. That's true. Yes, Mike. Okay, so the Freddy makes it Maggie finally, and then Mike ha- will have no part of the sardines. Not only is he a quitter, he won't even eat. Sm- <laughs> Once again, he won't even eat smelly fish. Yeah, <laughs> get this away from me. He throws it into the garbage. Oh my gosh, that's the thing. Is like, look, you don't waste food. Yeah, that's where you, you lost guys are me. Starving actors. I know. I saw you guys tear a man apart for like, <laughs> you know, a sandwich earlier. So don't don't be throwing food in the trash. But here's the thing: what Mike wants to do is take Maggie out for her birthday dinner. Oh, okay. So that's pretty good. I mean, that's something. You don't want sardines. You don't want to eat sardines before you go out for dinner. Mm. They're going to spoil your appetite and also your desire to eat any food ever for the rest of your life. Okay. Judging from how they look. I've never eaten sardines, but I don't eat like fish very much. So the whole thing All is... All right. Then sardines aren't for you. The whole thing is like is a bit of an off for me. Okay. Yeah. Madame Igalici arrives and while keeping an eye out for her precious sardine can, <laughs> offers Mike the money he needs to bankroll the show. Oh, good. A cat enters the dressing room as well and begins eating the sardines from the discarded tin in the garbage can. A cat we have not seen for this entire movie. This entire You might want to have, like, the cat walk by earlier. Someone pets a cat. Yeah. We see something about a cat established because the cat's going to be an important part later. Sure, sure. Yeah. Nope. No, 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 no. Oh, by the way, there's a cat now. Oh, great. There's a cat. Good. Here he comes. Maybe we should have had the cat in Harpo's coat earlier. That's why the dog is barking at him. Ah, that's also... that. Okay. Now we're fine. Wait, no. He'd have to. The cat would have to make its way from the woman's. Well, no, building. no. But then he jumps out of uh, Harpo's coat when when he's in the theater. Sure, we could we could work we can work it out. Anyway, you got to establish the cat before you yeah. give the cat a lot of major business. Yeah, to do. this cat's got. Yeah, this cat's carrying. And the then movie everyone now. knows the cat later. And it's like, hey, there's Phil the cat. Oh, good old <laughs> Phil that we all like. Wait, remember Phil? Remember we, we need him after Phil Batinsky, our our, our ass actor. <laughs> <laughs> he's so popular here. <laughs> I am very popular. I don't need a costume to play that animal's behind. We cut back to Harpo in, in the apartment. He escapes from Madame Igalici's suite by grabbing some sheets and jumping out the window, floating to the ground with a makeshift parachute. Sure. You're full magic. Why yep. don't you build yourself some wings and fly? <laughs> Who cares at this point? It's that would fine. cost too much. It's much easier just to have him float down and pass sure. a, a set. We why don't you just put some bed springs on your feet and just bounce around? <laughs> we cut fine, back. Either way. We cut back to Maggie's dressing room. She and Bunny are discussing going out when the cat knocks over the garbage <laughs> can. Bunny puts the cat and sardine tin outside in the alley. 
Mike returns to By tell way, Maggie. It didn't look like she. Maybe I'm wrong. Sure. It didn't look like she took the sardine can with her when she left. But, maybe, but she probably did. She did. She okay. Good. All right. Fair enough. So she's gonna take it to the alley. Yeah. All right. Mike returns to tell Maggie that he can no longer take her out to dinner <laughs> for her birthday, as he must continue to meet with Madame Igalici. Madame Igalici is in Mike's office, where the Zoda brothers are bringing whatever sardine cans they lo- can locate in the theater. She has Throckmorton take the empty sardine tins out to the alley. Faustino enters the office to declare his undying love for Madame Igalici and her money, I imagine. Sure. She sends him out to collect more sardine cans for her. Harpo returns to the theater. See, now he should have known that she liked sardine cans. He should have came, he should have come with sardine cans. Yep. Because he knew from reading Harpo's mind that she loved Harpo for his sardine cans. So he should be trying to buy her love with sardine cans. Makes sense. But he doesn't. He just comes in to... No one watched a previous scene. (laughs) No one who wrote this movie knew what was happening next. Yeah. Harper returns to the theater. He sees the cat in the alley eating from the sardine tin and notices that a diamond necklace has spilled out from the tin. He picks up the necklace and puts it in his pocket. Stinking up his pocket. The cat, voiced by Clarence Nash, the man who played Donald Duck. Really? Yeah. If you hear his yowl in the movie, you can uh, Ah. clearly hear that it's... uh, Clarence Nash doing okay. that yowl. It's a kind of a duck, kind of a duck yowl. Okay. Uh, yells at him for more food, and Harpo opens yet another sardine tin for the cat. I did like that. I did like that he was nice to the cat. Mm-hmm. It just once again establishes Harpo's yeah. a good guy. It's good. I just think it would have been funny is in back in the apartment if there was a huge pile of sardine tins from his jacket, and then when he gets back to the theater, he has another sardine tin in his jacket that he pulls out. Yes. And, uh, By the way, the cat uh, didn't yeah. eat a full tan- can of sardines because there was all that necklace in there. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, you know, it's not so the cat's hungry. fault. He's hungry. Also, that cat's got an elaborate backstory. I, we can't. We don't even have time <laughs> for it. We don't want right to go now. into it. Because his real name is Cat Patinsky. Okay. <laughs> he enters. No, all my jokes uh, have words that are double entendres that might get us an explicit rating. So let's just keep going. <laughs> he enters the theater. And shortly after, Throckmorton arrives in the alley to find the cat. And the empty tin with the Maltese cross. Not being able... Did that make any sense? I wasn't even listening to myself read. Not being able to find it anywhere, he assumes that the cat has eaten the necklace. He tells a dubious Madame Igalici. Well, uh, this guy's just dumb. Apparently. He's a dummy. Maybe that's why he's called Lefty. Because he's dumb? Yeah. Because left-handed people he's, are dumb? No, he's right-handed. <laughs> he, he calls himself Lefty. He's just that dumb. Yeah. yeah that's pretty dumb. Um... <laughs> Left-handed people are not dumb. No, my dad's left-handed. How dare you insult my father? Okay, fair enough. But, like, this guy... Well, my brother's... Yeah. You know, again, he's probably had some brain damage from the severe beating he got earlier. (laughs) That's true. But, like, the idea that a cat could eat an entire necklace of diamonds and survive Mm -hmm. and not have its throat cut to pieces, this guy's just a dumb guy. (laughs) It's true. Right. Well, that's why Madame Mikalichi's like, no, no, it's not. She clearly knows that he's a... Barking up, he's barking up the wrong tree. And she's an evil person, mm-hmm. but not so evil that they just go, well, let's cut the cat open. Yeah. Like, that seems to be the thing to do if you're, like, evil, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, the cat ate the diamonds. Oh, okay. Snap. Goes the neck. Slit. Uh, nope, it didn't. <laughs> that would not be a comedy. It would not be a comedy, but it would be what an evil person would do. I guess. That's got two goons that torture people. But in a, in a, com- a comedy torture. Oh, it's comedy torture? It's comedy torture. It's okay. different tor- than torture. Fair enough. Faustino arrives carrying tins of anchovies. <laughs> we hired the funny goons. Yeah, that's right. All right, beat them up, but make it hilarious. <laughs> make it hilarious. I want to hear a lot of crazy sound effects. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything that sounds l- at all like a real violence. Oh, wait, it does? <laughs> like a lot of that's going on. That would have been better. <laughs> yeah, okay. That would have been better. 
That's too bad they didn't do that. As if they didn't read their own movie. Mm-hmm. Harp, uh, Madame, Madame Ikalichi has no use for, for the anchovies that Faustina brings, or him, quite frankly. Aww. Harpo walks down a hallway, but before entering a doorway, we get a weird scene of him brushing his hair with a mirror that, by turning it, <laughs> yeah. allows him to see the front and back of his head. And he brushes his hair for a full half hour. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> movie, you didn't need to pause so the audience could finish <laughs> laughing. Gosh. It takes forever. Uh, okay. It's a good gag, the turning the mirror bit. It is. It's funny. Then once again, we're now... For f- a second. Right. And also, we're now in full cartoon land as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm just not yeah. fine with the need to have that movie, uh, that scene run forever. It runs forever. Of him <laughs> combing a wig. We know it's a wig. <laughs> and you are making it so clear by having him brush it with what to me looks like a dog brush. Anyway. Okay. He enters Maggie's dressing room to find her in tears. To cheer her up, he takes her to his home in the park. Ah, so now we have our park bench scene. It's kind of a, it's kind of a park bench scene. Well, it's the lowest point. I guess. It's the lowest point and it's on a park bench. I guess that's true. They re- literally took it. After he does a weird eye gag. It's okay. It's no, it's not even, it's, no, it's not okay. You don't like it at all? It's dumb. It's terrible. It's bad. It's not a gag. It's a gag your uncle does for you when you're a little kid. <laughs> and as convincingly. No. Also, when you realize he does have the power of magic at this point. Yeah, it's... Show her the mirror. That's a pretty good bit. <laughs> at least to be actually juggling, juggling eyeballs, not nothing. That's the worst part of it. That he juggles nothing. Like, who's he entertaining with this? No one. She's not actually entertained by it. She's a good actress. This is... Okay, to be fair, what this is supposed to be is the uh, fork and buns dancing yeah. thing. This is yeah. him doing his little it tramp. Is. I know that's, I know but that's what it's supposed darker, to be. But with a yeah. darker thing because he's Harpo, so yeah. he's got to tear his eyeballs <laughs> out. <laughs> his eyeballs out and wash them in his mouth. No. The he fun- doesn't even wash them in his mouth. <laughs> Sorry. The funny thing would be, it's like, so he does the bit and it's like so cheesy yeah. and takes the other eyeball out and he juggles it, but then he accidentally drops them and then you see he's got no eyes. <laughs> and it's horrific. <laughs> and she screams and runs away. It's like, no, it was real. These are where I really took my eyes out. In my in my ranting, I remembered that you don't juggle the eyeballs. You put them in your mouth and then use your tongue to imitate the eyeballs swishing around in your mouth. That's true. You go, that is like how that, that goes. That's how the gag is. Then you take them back out and you put them in your eyes wrong. <laughs> Everyone knows that gag. Why don't they do it right in this dumb movie? <laughs> so dumb. Oh, didn't they have an uncle who did it for them? No. Oh, and they had a funny uncle, the, the Marx. They had Al Sheen. And, uh, he, he probably knew exactly how to do that gag. <laughs> Uh, Maggie decides that she will go out on her own and become a great star with Harpo as her silent partner. He's going to be her manager. Yeah, that's A manager great. who can't phone anyone. <laughs> He'll call up all the, the theaters and I'll get jobs. But all her bravado gives way to tears. Probably because she realized that he doesn't speak and that it's her career would go nowhere. It is weird that she's not quite uh, down with that she doesn't speak. Like, I don't mind that, that yeah. she doesn't realize that. I'm going to yeah. sneeze. <laughs> oh, I sneezed my eyeballs out. They wish they were going to give these a wash. <laughs> i'm an uncle i can do a bit (laughs) sure can do it right too (laughs) harpo goes to his shack where he keeps a noisy penguin (laughs) of course he does why that the penguin would have been fine earlier that coming out of his coat would have been fine a penguin yeah hilarious (laughs) you had one yep use it yep and then the penguin's there later and you go like ah it's a good bit he gives him some it also makes sense why he's got the ice block in there 
Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's what that the penguin like hangs out on. That would have been the time for the penguin. He should have taken the penguin out of his coat and put it on the barrel, then go to the hilarious tuba water fountain thing, get his get the water out of it, give it to the penguin, then get his harp, which he keeps lying on its side in a shack. Right. By the way, I did Perfect like place. I did like the tuba water fountain. Yeah, it's good. I would like to have seen a bit more of that. It's like sure. now you've got like a Pee Wee's big adventure yeah, let's see uh, type stuff. world. Let's see where you live. Yeah. I'm I'm all for this. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's harping time. So here yeah, we go. Yeah. So he gets out his harp. He plays happy birthday for Maggie with one hand. Right. And well, they had to pay for it back well, then because you had to back then. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, he has you attached. You don't have to anymore. That's good. Yeah. He has attached candles to his fingers. Nice. Is it? No, I do. Because he's playing it with one hand. And it looks very difficult to be playing the harp with one hand. Yeah, like, yeah. what's the deal with yeah. the other hand? Yeah. Brings out the candles. She's yeah. got to blow them. She doesn't do a good job blowing the no. candles. It looks like she's going to miss one. Well, I don't blame her because it looks weird. It's Edward Candle Hands. <laughs> I, I liked it. I thought that was Harpo weird sweet. Mm. She blows out the candles and he gives her the diamond necklace. Harpo then plays uh, Old Folks at Home, Swanee River, on his yeah. harp, which is very, very beautiful. Yeah. As always, he does a bang up job playing the harp. He's just so great. But as he's playing, Maggie is gone. She, in fact, she leaves. She doesn't even hear the song. She's probably like, oh, I know this song. She leaves. That's nice. And when he finishes, she's gone. Yeah. Nice. Nice of you, Maggie. <laughs> Cut to the outside of the Century Theater where Love Happy. A new musical review is finally coming. And actually, Love Happy, a <laughs> All new the musical reviews review. say random. <laughs> a new musical review without a theme, it says <laughs> underneath that, is finally opening. <laughs> Grunion tells us that his right-hand man, Mackinac, played by Eric Bleur, another, uh, another, uh, actor who's in The Lady Eve. Okay. He plays her uncle, who is, uh, who is, um, fooling all the rich folk around, uh, the area where, where Henry uh, Henry Fonda's father lives. Okay. Well, if he's an uncle, he knows I do the eyeball gag. Yes, he does. It. He does it in that film. I say. Although what's weird is that he doesn't say any words in this film. Hmm. He's like, we cut because we go to Crony's office, and he and Mackinac are preparing to attend the opera when a man enters the office, and but he says, "Are you ready to go, Mackinac?" And Mackinac just kind of goes, "Rattle." Like that. <laughs> That's all he says. Like he doesn't even say words. So he said, "We'll have you in the movie, but we can't pay you for speaking. So just say a sounds, and that will be good enough." Because the rest of the thing is just like, wow, you know, okay. blah, blah, blah. but he doesn't actually say any words. So it's okay. Very strange. We cut to Grandin's office. So, uh, so yes, they're preparing to go to the opera. They're wearing their opera hat and coat and all that kind of stuff. They said they're going in disguise, but they're just going dressed in opera clothes. Yeah. It's weird. This is, so then the man enters, uh, Ivan, a killer employed by the Romanovs, it turns out, enters. Sure. And, uh, does a bang up job. He has been sent by the Romanov who have paid Grunion. 100,000 zlotties yeah. to recover the diamonds. Do you know how hard it is to spend a zloty? Mm. I don't know. As hard as it is to go to a bank and exchange money? Yeah, it's not really hard. Also, it feels like when they when they land on Groucho again in this, he should just be like sleeping like, what? Oh, <laughs> still, is the picture still going on? Okay, here we go. Am I still in this? Technically, I am. All right, here we go. The man produces an hourglass. Mm. And t- oh. says if the diamonds are not recovered within an hour, Grunion will be killed. Yes. I do love the next gag, though. Okay. I love the next gag where, like, Grunion is, like, pouring sand into the top yeah. of the hourglass. Yeah. 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 This, okay. Though so that's a that's a good gag. Yeah. Again, sorry to, like, write my own gags, but sure. I was thinking, like, you got a cigar. Just be flicking the cigar into there. Mm. You're building, you're throwing ash in there as well. Okay. To, like, just build it up. Sure. So, yes, Grunion is refilling the top of the hourglass with sand from a fire bucket when there is a knock at the door and a beautiful girl, played by Marilyn Monroe, enters. Now, of course, at the time she wasn't Marilyn Monroe. She was a lady who walked... She was Cassius Clay. She was at that time, before she converted to Muslim, Muslim became Marilyn Ollie Monroe. 
She, uh, yeah, no. She, Norma Ray. Norma Ray Desmond. Is that? <laughs> no. It's a callback to Sunset Boulevard. She, she, uh, I just mean that she wasn't famous at this point. She was just a struggling actress looking for roles. And this is a role that presented itself. And she was perfectly happy to play it. And it was like one minute long. And yet this movie has been reissued with, you know, see the first appearance of Marilyn Monroe on screen, which is not actually true. This was her third film that she'd done. But anyway, she's in the movie very briefly. Uh, she believes she's being followed and wants to hire Grunion, who, of course, does a lot of lecherous eye-waggling and eyebrow-waving. Yeah. When he attempts to leave with her, he is prevented from doing so by Ivan. So long, Marilyn Monroe. Although there's pictures of her on the rooftops uh, set. Oh, okay. So it may have been that she was going to be reincorporated to that in some way. And there's way. pictures where she's lounging around with Groucho as well. Perhaps uh, pushed off the roof by Madame Igalici. Oh. You're more beautiful than me. Goodbye. Yeah. Hi, you seem to be the future. How's it going? <laughs> yes. It's weird. It's a weird scene. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh. And it's only she's... weird. It's only weird. Well, it's, I guess. Okay. It would be weird. Would it be period. weird if we didn't know who she was? If she's just like a random beautiful woman? Or do you feel like it's weird because it's Marilyn Monroe? I think it's woman? weird because we have established this other woman. Yeah. It's like so beautiful. Yeah. That she whammies people. Yeah. Like she just. Ding, ding, like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Now we've got another blonde woman yeah, yeah. that we've just put in here. Sure. And we're doing a, a lesser beat. Yeah. Like she's not like knocking, knocking both these guys like over the desk. Yeah. Which, which she, you, 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 it's just a smaller thing. So like, well, what's the point? Like we're, we're now really doing an establishing bit of a film noir gag, which is she walked into the room of the office. Her legs yeah. were up to the ceiling or da, 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 da. What's, what is it? What, what kind of joke is this? She's really pretty. Yeah. We've done these women are pretty and we're stunned by them. Actually, we did it with the ballet dancer too. We've done this like twice. So what's your bit with this? Just that she's uh, pretty? Yeah. And okay, here's the, was something that we talked about when we were doing Go West, which is that the character, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays the villain in the movie, I believe it was him. He and his wife, uh, supported Marilyn Monroe when she came to Hollywood to become an actress. And she lived with them, and you know, so she had a place to stay while she went out on additions and whatnot, looking for. So I wonder if this guy used his connections to the Marx Brother, knowing they were doing a movie, and said, "Hey, I've got a, I've got a girl that's living with us who, you know, would be great in a scene in the movie. Do you have anything for her?" Yeah. And so they hired her. Uh, 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 you know, I just wonder if there's a connection there because they would have known each other from doing the film, and that wasn't that long ago. And would he, uh, you know, but who knows? Who knows? Okay. I just think it's one explanation for why they have someone who's clearly a stunner in a role in a role in a movie where you already have established a stunner. Make sense or no? Mm-hmm. Does, or not make sense? No, no, that makes sense. We get to the Century Theater where we get to look at an audience sitting in the Century Theater. Throckmorton approaches Madame Igalici's private box and calls for her. I just mean that you know when you cut to the theater, you could have had people on stage doing some stuff, but instead we just get kind of a generic view, shot of, from the side of a, of a movie theater audience. Seems kind of odd. Yeah. Throckmorton approaches Madame Igalici's private box and calls for her. She comes out and he informs her that x-rays show what she already knew. The cat did not eat the diamond necklace. She orders Throckmorton to report to the Zoda brothers so we know that he's going to get beaten up. Maggie is in her dressing room preparing for the show. Like she, he's got to go mm-hmm. to the Zoda brothers yeah. and go, hi, um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's time for me to get beat up did again. a dumb thing. Thought a cat maybe ate a diamond necklace. Yeah, so just beat me up in a comedy way if you could. Tie me into like a bow or something. <laughs> Uh, something like that. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks. That'd be awesome. Uh, so we cut to Maggie in her room, preparing for the show. She is dressed in her Sadie Thompson costume and has enhanced it with the diamond necklace. So everyone who sees her goes, oh, you're doing the Sadie Thompson bit for the show, are you? 
Throckmorton and the Zoda brothers peer through her window and see the necklace. We don't establish why they're peeking through people's windows. If they're looking, you know, we know, we know they're looking for stuff, but it should be established that they're going around peeping through all the windows, not just Maggie's. Yeah. Cause this is creepy. Mike waylays her in the hallway, pulling her out of sight to apologize. The Zoda brothers don't see her as they enter her dressing room. He tells her the necklace looks too phony and promises to buy her a real one. Ha ha. He doesn't know. He's yeah, dumb. He's dumb. They kiss and she, well, we already know that he's dumb. They kiss, and she lets the necklace drop into the piano. By the way, is he the worst romantic lead we've had in one of these Marx Brothers movies? I think yes. In terms of, like, as a boyfriend, like a, as yeah. a good guy? Yeah, he's terrible. As a good guy, he gives yeah. up immediately. Mm. Uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he's, he's bad business. Yeah. Don't care for this guy. Okay. It's bad all around. He's even worse than Zeppo. Mm-hmm. Are we counting Zeppo? Yeah, all right. He's sure. romantically. Yeah. At least Zeppo sings once in a while. Pretty good. As she returns to her dressing room... She is snatched inside by the Zoda brothers and Throckmorton, who demand to know where the necklace is. Mike enters and tries to defend Maggie. This is one part where he actually kind of proves himself to be a, a regular a regular guy. Sure. A regular mensch. He tries to defend Ma- Maggie, but he is punched and sent flying into the closet. Well, that's the thing. He's got like half a second. Well, here's the thing. He's grabbed immediately, mm-hmm. so he's got no choice, right? Yeah. Like he's not like, oh, I'm going to go save her. It's just like, oh, I got stuck in this nonsense too. And then he does a dumb w- roundhouse pullback yeah. and then just gets punched by the other guy who decides not to wait five minutes for this punch to <laughs> land and just like <laughs> gets him in the mush. Yeah. So, you know, mm, good fighting. Good fighting, buddy. So, And this guy took some stage fighting courses. Yes, he the did. that's true. He did. He did take some. He's. We know that because we saw him stage fighting earlier that's in his pirate That's the dance. thing that kills me. It's like, you know, we just saw that he was like fake fighting through the whole thing. You yeah. know what? But he's pretty good. Yeah. He, he grab a sword. If he grabs a sword, he's, boy, I tell you, a pole, he's going to be able to fight his way out of, let Wait. me pull this back. Oof. Out. Well, there's no point to that scene then. Great. So Harpo comes uh, with, uh, as I said earlier, he comes with a, ra- a wreath that you'd hang around the neck of a horse at a racetrack. Sure. Which he's clearly stolen because the horse, the resentful horse has kicked him in the pants. Right. He's got the imprint of two horseshoes on it. Sure, sure. There's some backstory there that would have been fun to oh, see. Sure. Would have been great. <laughs> hey, I just came from a funnier movie. <laughs> Thanks for dropping in. So Harpo hears what's happening and runs to Faustino to get help. Then we have, for the third movie in a row, is it? Or a third movie that we've had in the last while? Or maybe it's the fourth time we get... The pantomime charade sequence where where Faustino or Chico, Chico has to guess what Harpo is yeah. miming to him. Sure. Uh, Why? Because he can't read his mind because he's tired yeah, or something. It just doesn't make any it's sense. like we've just established that you can read minds. Yeah. So maybe there's – you see, this is my thing. It's like here's where you could do a little of both, Yeah. you know, if you cared, which is – so he misinterprets what, what Harpo was thinking. Yeah. Oh, remember – Hey, Checo, remember what you used to do? Yeah. Where you get words wrong and mix sure. stuff up yeah. and you think you'd know things, but you wouldn't? Huh? Perfect opportunity for this. You're, you're, he's trying to get you something, but you're misinterpreting. That's hilarious. Sounds great. Then he gets frustrated yeah. and then he starts acting out the stuff. Ah, now we're doing this bit that we uh-huh. like. It's all fine. We can do it all. We can have a nice classic scene. Nah, it's yeah. fine. We're just doing uh, charades. Oh, okay. and it's just, and it's so, it's, yeah. I mean, murder, 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 murder. Okay, fine, murder. <laughs> It works. Pirate ship, pirate ship, pirate ship, pirate ship. Yeah. Oh, now we've lost our explicit. <laughs> we got our explicit rating. Um, yeah, it feels like, hey, when you want to join the audience, they're about a block ahead of you right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're laughing. They're waiting at, up there. They, they're t- they finished laughing at this joke a minute ago. Huh. Cause because, they, well, because the thing is, like, when it's used in the other films, it's because something is going to happen, not something is happening. 
So in this movie, something is happening. She is in danger at this very minute. Yeah. So the worst thing in the world to show is someone spending ten minutes doing a charades game with his <laughs> with his some, with his buddy, while we know that she's in danger. In the other ones, you know. Uh, Grocho is in danger because he's going to go into danger and we have to warn him yeah. about that danger. Not, he already is in danger. Like Grocho isn't hanging from a tree while Harpo runs to Chico to, and they do a pantomime sequence. In this movie, it's so dumb because the yeah. tension's built up and then you do this weird spoiler sequence. And in fact, I found it so dull. I'll be honest. I didn't even watch the scene. I played on my phone. I was playing a word game on my phone <laughs> while it was happening because I'm obsessed with this word game right now. And so I thought, well, here's my perfect chance to obsess over this dumb game. Well, this boring scene is happening. So I did. Yeah. That's how I, that's how much I feel about this pantomime sequence. Very good. Pantomime, get out of here. Bunny is also snatched as she enters Maggie's dressing room. Ah, Everyone's in there now. Hooray. Hooray. Faustino. It's a real stateroom scene. It's a real regular, if it, yeah, if it was funny. Faustino and Harpo arrive. Harpo, Harpo realizes they need some diamonds to save Maggie and, and Bunny. So. A court, the chorus line, which we saw earlier in the film, which is, I guess it's okay that they established it. We didn't really need to establish it, but, but all right. He s- sees a chorus girl in a costume with paste diamonds that look very much like the diamond necklace. He and Faustino appear in the doorway of the dressing room to show Throckmorton and the Zoda brothers the necklace. Faustino then gives it to Harpo, who runs off, the Zoda brothers in full pursuit. I do like this little bit, though, where Faustino blocks the door away with Harpo's help. So he's blocking the door, and then Harpo presses his feet against him to keep the guys yes. from breaking through the that door. Yes, that looks I, good. I did like that little bit. Uh, Faustino has to perform in the show, so Harpo runs off with the fake diamonds to keep the bad guys from hurting Maggie and disturbing the show. Harpo makes his way up onto the rooftops around the theater. In the blinking lights of the neon signs, he is able to evade them. And yes, the sequence was very controversial at the time because product placement was not a Thing yeah. that was done and in now a word that, from our day. sponsor. Yeah, essentially the yeah the production ran out of money. We talked about this earlier. So among the products advertised are General Electric, their lamps, Fisk Tires, which is an old now defunct uh, tire company. But and I kind of looked looked them up because I was curious who they were. And they were a tire company, but they were like out of business in the during the depression. So I have no idea why they're advertising in a movie made in 1949. Hmm. It's really strange. I don't know if someone tried to revive the brand or what. Boulevard watches, cool cigarettes. Wheaties and mobile gas all get uh, a chance to pay to have their themselves in a market for their movie. I liked uh, Harpo on the uh, neon horses. Yeah, there's some good to... there's some good gags with that. Yeah. Like I don't think it, it I don't think there's I don't think there's no payoff to it. It's just at the time it was kind of controversial. There was a, a motion picture trade periodical called Harrison's Reports, and he wrote a scathing editorial review of the movie. And he, this guy hated product placement, so he would always point it out in movies. Uh, I he severely criticized the film, and he felt that theater owners should ask for their theater operators should ask for their money back for showing the movie because they basically they just had run an ad, so they should get a share of it as people who are working. Well, I'm going to tell a one minute personal story here. Sure, okay. And just go. Uh, I was in a movie, yep. and it was uh, it was called Happy Gilmore, and in it. it and in it. Uh, there's an ad for Subway that Subway paid for. It's yeah. basically like a commercial, yeah. like a literal commercial for Subway sure. in the in the thing, and yeah. I'm in it. Yep. And Roger Ebert, who disliked the movie, yeah. said was so opposed to a commercial being in the movie yeah. that it was his most loathed part of the film in a film that he really disliked. But that was the part <laughs> of the film that I was in. Wow. And so I catch a Subway sandwich. I have it golfed, golfed into my mouth by uh, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You're perfectly so, fine with part so of it. So all I'm saying saying is uh i occasionally still get a check for that so um That's i think good. it's fine i think sure. product placement in movies is swell you say that but what do you think about el pacino's dunkin donuts sex sex segment of uh is it jack and jill i think uh hoo-ha pu 
<laughs> scent of a stinker. That's what I think. I think he's out of order. It's out of order. That whole film's out of order. <laughs> say hello to he's my little. He's cruising for a. I don't say hello to my little donut. That's actually... <laughs> there you go. Harpo climbs. Wait, was that all powdered sugar? Yes. Oh, my That's mistake. Right. Yeah, I, was... I interpreted that movie way Ooh, differently. Right, right, oh, okay. Right. Oh, scarf face. Like it's in yeah, scarfing, scarfing donuts. Scarfing donuts. Oh, understood. Right. My apologies. Yeah. That's right. That's why he's he's laying in a bathtub full of glees, like glees icing. In Again, you didn't I stand I stand corrected. Yeah. And all that jelly flying everywhere when people are shooting guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Harpo climbs up onto a Fisk tire billboard featuring its well-known pajama-clad boy holding a tire in one hand and a candle in the other with, with a tag. You can kind of see it. It says, time to retire. Ah. Time to go to bed. Get it? Yeah. Get it? That was considered a classic ad of its or day. Or I'll light this tire on fire and throw it through your window. <laughs> there you go. You know what would have been good? And again, mm-hmm. you, again, going back, wouldn't have been great if they were all just parody ads that they were up they there. They would have paid for that though. But yes, I know that it would have just been so great. That would have been more fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you could still do do the gags. The yeah. gag here being, of course, he blows out the candle. Yeah. Uh, he is magically transported by the blinking lights on a Wheaties billboard. They, sure. He hangs onto them. They transport him sideways, and then they transport him up, so he's able to get onto another building. Yep. He rides the horse on a mobile gas billboard. I really like that. That's pretty cool. Although, okay, it's good, but is it good enough that it goes blink up, blink up, blink up, blink up, blink down, blink down, blink down, and then back to blink up, blink up, blink up? Do we really need that? No, the time character's is running terrible. back and forth. Time it's is just, terrible. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a good joke, but, but it's, it's a good. Yeah. Joke, yeah. Uh, he swings on the pendulum of a Bulova watch billboard until he is thrown into the mouth of a penguin. Uh, two penguins in this film. Penguin on a billboard for cool cigarettes. And then, of course, it's time. Uh, I guess it's okay to cut at this moment. He, we cut to, to Chico playing the piano on stage. He is playing uh, the Polonaise in Aim Flat by Chopin. But you'll notice that there's no pan present while he's playing Chopin. Uh-huh. As he plays the diamond necklace. So apparently there is Chopin without, without a pan. I'm just saying. There you go. As he plays, the diamond necklace begins to bounce up in the air when he strikes the right keys. Madame Igalici notices this too. When the piece is finished, Chico grabs the necklace and runs off the stage. Lyons is there and tells Chico he should take a bow. Chico informs him that he has no time. He has to return the di- real diamond necklace because now he is the hero. He is going to save Maggie and the show, and nobody else will do it. It's a strange moment of bravado from uh, from, from Faustino. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about it. Strange moment of bravado. Madame Igalici also leaves her private box. Back at the Cool Cigarettes billboard, Hopper Mer- Harpo emerges from the mouth of the penguin and lowers himself to the rooftop. He is quite woozy after breathing in all the smoke. Suddenly, he is surrounded by the three bad guys. One of them punches him, and he puffs out a stream of smoke into his face. Another another punches him, and he puffs out a stream of smoke into that person's face. And a third attempts to punch him, and he is also blinded by smoke. It's hilarious in threes. The exact same thing happening three times. Yep. Harpo then emits a steady stream of smoke from several orifices until he is surrounded by a ball of smoke. The puff of smoke and he himself almost disappear into a ventilator. Or also himself? How would I say that? He's walking by a ventilator. It 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 uh, sucks all the smoke in and also tries to suck him into it, but he's able to stop himself from going in. Faustino arrives with the real diamond just as Harpo is pursued by the bad guys down through an access door. Faustino runs over and attempts to tell them that he has the real diamonds, but he is squished by the door... Man from La Squancha. But he is squished by the door from another access door that Harpo has suddenly popped out of. He drops the diamonds, and in the confusion, Harpo, who has also dropped his fake ones, picks up Chico's real necklace by mistake. While all this is going on, Grunion arrives, wearing a deerstalker cap to show that he is a real detective. 
Madame Igalici also arrives on the roof. Grunion confronts her, asking if she remembers him. She does, and slaps him. Yeah. It's not terrible. It's fine. The the problem the problem I have is that like this is a, like that he's re- I, I don't know. It's just like it feels like he's making up all these fake stories. Yeah. And it's like, hey, remember me? Yes. Oh, he's real. He's a real detective. He really was doing well, all this stuff. Well, he does have pictures of himself. I know, him. but what's that mean? <laughs> you know, I guess it's fine. They took pictures of themselves during all their adventures. They stopped and they got a picture yeah. taken. Well, he's at they're at clubs and stuff like that, so he's okay. You know, there's a floral photographer. Club fine. Photographer. All right. Which was a real thing. Also, it's a thing. weird thing, this. It's like, yeah. so they got all these pictures of them. Mm-hmm. And then, do you remember me? Well, would you say that if you've like met someone like like seven times? Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, hey, hey, Moriarty, it's me, Sherlock Holmes. Hey, you remember me? Yeah, you're my mortal enemy. Of course I remember <laughs> you. What a dumb thing to ask. Yes, clearly. You know, cat and mouse game we've been doing around the globe. Sure. Yeah, sure. do you remember me? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes you just need a little bit of, you know... You know, a little bit of uh, positivity, a little bit of what that word is. A little reinforcement? Reinforcement, yeah. A little validation? Yeah, validation. Sure, why sure. not? Okay. You know, sometimes, you know, he's a, just because he's a detective doesn't mean his ego is strong. Right. She's probably trot all over it. Igalichi tells Grunion that this time... Oh, no, this is what it would have been. Okay. Okay. So he says, uh, hey, do you remember me? And she goes, were you the guy at the very beginning of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was also in the middle for a bit. So are you in this, yeah. or what a, or what are you? Yeah. We've been really telling a story here. I don't know what your part of. Yeah, this there's is a guy who did a cameo, and he's in it more than you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, she the tells cats in it more than you, <laughs> and affected the plot more. <laughs> That's true. She tells Grenion that this time she is going to get the diamonds, and nothing is going to stop her. Nothing, nothing yeah. at all. Boy, did I not care about the diamonds by this point? <laughs> Were you sick of hearing about those diamonds? Oh, who wasn't? Ugh. She sees Faustina with the paste diamonds and demands them from him at gunpoint. She quickly realizes that these diamonds are fakes. Faustina insists that they are the real ones and Harpo has the fakes. So then she knows she has to go after Harpo. Harpo succeeds in luring Throckmorton and the Zoda brothers up a flagpole where he quickly wraps them up with some rope. Harpo They're burning me- their bums. Yes, burning their bums, yeah. Harpo meets Idis at this point, you know, and I just wanted to get this over with, like, careless. Yeah, I know. Same here. Like, the, <laughs> the, 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 the version I had cut off early. Okay. And so I went on YouTube to watch the rest of it. Yeah. And yeah, it's tough not to click on things next to it going like, oh, how can I lose that unsightly belly fat? <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> what are three tricks that'll help me really make my toothbrush sing? Toothbrush. Nope. Let's watch the, let's watch the end of this. Yeah. Here we go. I'm interested in singing toothbrushes now. Yeah, he was again Harpo though. Oh, is... here's how you make your toothbrush sing: a uh, curse from an evil witch that turns you into a beast. Ah, okay. All your household goods will one of the one of the people who live in your house will become a oh, singing nice. toothbrush. So, um, I uh, yeah yeah pro tip, <laughs> pro tip, sure. Again, seeing Harpo going like, oh, how much can he do at his age? Yeah. Like, you know, a couple of movies back, he was doing trapeze stuff. You mm-hmm. know, what can he do? And he was doing some good swinging yeah, off of stuff like, I mean, and climbing there's, things. There's some and... clear stuff where there's a stand-in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stuff but it's him. not uh, like unicycling in the big store. No, no. Yeah. Harpo meets up with Grunion, who volunteers to protect him, prov- provided Harpo still has his axe. How he knew he had an axe in the first place, no one knows. They come upon Madame Igalici, who vows to kill who well, has never the diamonds. Well, it never to axe. Oh! Upon hearing this... Harpo slips the diamonds into Grunion's pocket. Madame Michelici sees this and pretends that she loves the detective. As they go off arm in arm, Harpo, using the extending reacher he had used early in the movie, I didn't mention it, but he had this little kind of like a extending 
accordion thing kind of that sure. goes, stretches out. Yeah. He uses that to grab the diamonds out of Grenion's pocket. Seems like it would be easier to take food that way, but okay, mm-hmm. earlier, out of people's baskets. And he, <laughs> he dances off into the night, unaware of the necklace's true value. Cut to Grenion in his office, addressing the audience for the last time <laughs> as he works on the case of the Calcutta cutthroat. The phone rings and he orders his assistant to answer. The camera cuts to Faustino, now in the employ of Grenion, who is too busy playing gin rummy with a dog to answer the phone. Is and it's a, a different dog <laughs> yes. than the one we saw earlier. Yes. Three dogs. There's three dogs. This was a three-dog night film. That's right. Three-dog night indeed. <laughs> he is too busy playing gin rummy with a dog to answer the phone. So Grenion answers the phone. It's his wife. Uh, once again, because we know yeah. he's a big gambler. Sure. Because we've established that oh, yeah. at no point sure. that he likes playing cards. I know. And there's a weird aside from Grinch who says, I hope you're not playing for real money. Which is no, but clearly then later weird. he's playing strip poker with this dog. Oh, that is weird. And someone's painting it. That's the weirdest part. Painting it onto velvet. <laughs> Grenion answers the phone. It's his wife, and it turns out his wife, formerly known as Madame Igalici. The end. And then he turns his chair in a smooth one mo- mo- movement, and you go, "That's how you do it." That's how you do it. If you'd reverse that That's at the beginning, right. we'd be good. So wait a second. Love so, happy. So her. So her other husbands. Were they murdered? Is that the idea? Like she's a multiple widower yeah. that just murders she's her a, husband? She's a black widow. So this is a murderer he's yeah. married. Yeah. And she's going to kill him or yes. he's going to kill. Yeah. But she's, he's happy with this situation? It, well, well, at last, it's great. All right. How things go with sure. uh, so, who, so It's like they say, but such small portions. Right. Did anyone get the yeah. necklace? Harpo has it. He dances off in the... Right. Would Harpo then give it to the, the girl? No. He just keeps it? It's yeah. in his pockets? No, he'll use it. Okay. Wait. He's like he's like you given the he's like you given the ring uh, the the ring of you know the power. Okay, I got it. I got it. But of, let me let to me, Tom Bombadil. Right, he's Tom Bombadil. Yeah. He has no idea Why what the value of this is. Why must you always bring that? When we did our Beatles podcast, it was like John's Tom Bombadil. <laughs> and like we're doing our Tintin podcast, the Captain's Tom Bombadil. We get it. We get we're it. gonna do our Bombadil sure. cast at yes, some point. You're gonna I be happy. So. Okay. Just in the logic of this of this uh, world, does the play still go on? Did she still fund the play? Is it going on well, that night? It was night? a smash hit that night. She didn't need to fund it after that. She already put her money into it. Okay, so she put money into it. Yeah. So they opened up. Yeah. Big reviews. Yeah. Everything's fine. We haven't seen the play, though, or anything, right? No, no. No. But they but obviously... We know what it's about, obviously. We know what it's about. Sure. It's about a woman. Yeah. Who goes to a tropical island. <laughs> yes. Where she dances for some men. Right. Who steal jam. Who steal... <laughs> who later... Who later... She has children. She has a nanny. Right. Who's looking after the children for her. She has triplets. Uh huh. I don't know if you realize that. It's triplets. Okay. Much like the film The Bandwagon. That's the comedy of threes. Much like not the film, to be confused with like uh, comedy of twos. The later film, earlier. The Bandwagon, which had the film, the song Triplets. Okay. It's the same. I understand. I know yeah. that song that you're talking okay, about. Okay, there you go. So that's that's the Bandwagon. Good. So, so then, yes, we have her with the triplets. Uh, meanwhile, an itinerant piano player. Right. Who only plays uh, Polonaise in A minor <laughs> or by A flat, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, anyway. He's for it in a Welsh mining village, where one day the piano falls down the mine shaft, and it turns out it's a Polonaise in A-flat minor. <laughs> and then later on, Boo. later on, the play was renamed The Jam Pirates. Boo. That's a better name. I love it already. Jam Pirates. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the end with an exclamation mark, because I was so happy to get to the end of that. So happy. Yeah. You know, uh, every, every time, you know, I've been told like, Oh, the films just get worse. And, <laughs> and every week I've said, that's all right. Yeah. It's not too not bad. bad. Sure. Okay. Dave. Yep. 
This one got worse. This one is this one, one. This one, they just didn't. Look, uh, good for Harpo giving it his all. Good yeah. for Chico occasionally giving it his all. Sure. Again, it's a delight to see Harpo. It's great to see Chico. Um, Groucho could not have phoned it in more yeah. if he had stayed on that phone at the end and just through the whole thing, just literally phoned it in. Yeah. Why did he show up at the, like, there's no, yeah. who, what are you doing? Oh, boy. Well, and I think that's because they wanted to end the film on the rooftop sequence because it became the center, even though it's not the center film, it became the centerpiece of the movie because of the ads in it. Yeah. So that became the most important scene in the film at that very moment. The moment that movie became an ad that supported the funding the rest of the film, that became a key sequence. And so they took out any part of his office stuff. So, because Ivan just disappears. We never see what happens yeah, with Ivan. I'm sure they were, I'm sure in some way it was resolved in right. the, in the screenplay, but when they redid the movie with, with the rooftop sequence, they just dropped that entirely. Uh, it's not uncommon in Marx Brothers films that plot line, plot points get dropped yeah. without being developed. So, I like mean, it whatever. feels like they could have ended it on the roof. All you need yep. is, so, so, you know, he's getting the, he's getting the diamonds back and then, uh, Harpo's walking off and maybe sees Chico and, uh, Chico says something, whatever, who cares? Yeah. You know, and then, the, and the two of them walk off together, you know, uh, whatever. That's great. Now we cut back to, to Groucho and, uh, and, and she says something, I don't know, whatever she says about diamonds or something. But even Groucho realizes he doesn't have the diamonds and it doesn't matter. He's still going to marry her. Yeah. He's fine. And then he said, turns to the audience and, you know, says something s- sarcastic and whatever. I don't care. I just in it for her. Yeah. Whatever it is. And that's the end of the movie. The end. You ended with Groucho. The yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, whatever it is and roll the credits and we're all fine and we're good. The end. Bye. We're done. I wish. And so that was the that was the movie. And that was Love Happy. Were you happy? Was there a lot of love? No? Okay. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed the pirate movie. I was I was not happy. Yeah. I don't... Um so I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's their their last movie, but uh I got to say uh you know, I'll say more next episode when we kind of do a general thing. Uh but it's been a good ride for films up until this point. And uh, and there you go. If you watched this one to be a completionist, uh, how you doing? Are you guys okay? Hope you're all right. Uh, you got through it. We all got through it together. And, uh, you know, we're here for you. If you need to talk, uh, you can reach us at sneakydragon.com. Our message boards are there underneath, uh, each episode. So we will, uh, share condolences with you. Yeah. We will, uh, help each other through this tough time. Uh, yeah. if you need I, to, uh, yeah. I, I owned all the Marks Brothers films before we started this podcast. Right. Except for Love Happy. I had, to, and I really re- resent having had to buy Love Happy for, for this, but, at least I can write it off. Right. If it's, someone it's has a business expense. Yeah, it, it is on YouTube right now. Now it's pretty dark, but you know what? What are you missing? Uh, if you want to, if you want to write us, uh, we're at uh, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Uh, Twitter's uh, sneaky underscore dragon and Tumblr uh, sneakydragon.tumblr.com. That's where that's where we're at. So next week. Next week, oh, we'll be, not week, uh, next show. Next show. Which will be a couple of weeks or whenever you listen to this. You can listen to this at whatever pace you, you feel like. Uh, we will be, uh, covering leftovers, things that we have not talked about. We will be answering any questions or, uh, addressing any comments that you send sure. us. So we would love to hear from you. And, uh, and there you go. Is there any, is there anyone that we're doing a shout out to in this episode, Dave? Yes, we do have some, uh, some friendly listeners who were kind enough. To review us on iTunes. And oh, thank you so really much for that. Ap- yeah, we really appreciate it. And they're, they're nice reviews. I like that, except the one person, uh, criticized my pronunciation of, uh, 
Joseph, uh, was it Joseph Mankiewicz? Yeah. Just because I bizarrely decided to try to do my own little way and, uh, you know. Yeah. And you know what? Whenever you try, that's the first step to failure. (laughs) Exactly right. Uh, But anyway, thank you for your review, Errol F., who's uh, from Toronto, Ontario. Hey. And uh, so that was very nice of you to to write us write about us on the Canadian iTunes and on Aus- the Australian iTunes. We had a review from Dark Towel, who uh, loves the show, but Aww. called our asides curious. He said, "Curious asides." All right, very good. But if you enjoy it, asides, listen to Sneaky Dragon. That show that's is all asides. That's all asides. We have no. There's no through line on that show. It's just a winding path to greatness. <laughs> Fair enough. Judge for yourself. Uh, that is, uh, and Sneaky Dragon is our, our weekly show, uh, where we do, do all that kind of stuff and nonsense. If you want to hear us talk about other things, we have done other sidecasts. One was called, uh, Completely Beatles, where we went through every Beatles, uh, album, song by song. And we also did Totally Tintin, where we went through every Tintin, uh, book, uh, book by book, as you do. Uh, so, so yeah, what will we do after this? I don't know. Suggest something. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll do that. Or maybe we'll just take a well-earned nap. <laughs> we'll we'll see we'll see uh but we do appreciate you listening it's always great to hear from you and this has been a fun journey so far one more episode to go we'll see you next time for questions leftovers we don't know been... we've already started getting questions from people so yes. thanks thanks for that we appreciate that as well we appreciate so we don't it. have to make them up don't have to make we don't have to make up people or put yeah. words in your mouth. Uh, this has been uh, Jason Fake Name with uh, <laughs> Why You Guys So Handsome. Well, Jason, well. that's a great question. And uh, <laughs> I have none of that. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. I've been Ian. I've been David. And this has been Full Marks, a, uh, a colon, a Marx Brothers podcast.